people and welcome again to another episode of figurisms i am your host grant trimble and in this show as usual i talk to creatives of all kinds from models sculptors photographers etc that utilize nudity in their work the whole purpose of this is to try and understand with greater depth the message meaning and choices behind the people traveling this path to foster a greater comprehension of the use of nudity in the arts I myself fall into this category, but why others do this can, of course, be wide-ranging. Despite the very long history of this discipline, there still remains many misunderstandings and objections to this practice, so my aim is to alleviate some of the stigmas surrounding this endeavor. In addition, I hope to add some context to the greater cultural dialogue regarding sexuality by challenging how nudity is perceived in our society. In this episode, I'm able to talk to the French photographer Lobias. Lobias has been featured in a number of exhibitions and publications over the years, including Seaheads and Juxtapose. You can go to his website, lobias.com, to see a bigger list. But currently, he runs, with his wife, a concept store they started in Paris that is both a lingerie shop and a gallery called Les Rituales. I'm probably mispronouncing this, so I apologize, but we do talk about this endeavor later in the interview, along with many other subjects. We get pretty heavy in this conversation, starting pretty quickly with topics such as the existence of God, why he calls himself a troll, why he doesn't have a TV, and even the use of language. As this is how things begin, you are maybe picking up on the fact that Lobias has a philosophical disposition. Personally, I love this, and I think it translates very nicely to the nature of the show. Further on in the interview, we talk about his work, sensuality, how he got into photography, respect for the models he works with, changing his shame, plus more. I think this is my longest episode so far, and all of it stays pretty heavy. As Lobias tackles each question and topic with the heart of a philosopher, my suggestion, as usual, is to sit back, relax, and let what he has to say sink in. The question, the first question that I have for you is a little bit unrelated to these things that we were just, just kind of started talking about, but when you go on your Instagram stories, or your Instagram, yeah. and in your stories, you have a collection entitled Friends. And it's, uh, maybe you can ex- explain what it is to people who haven't seen it. But um, it's, it's... Ah, the collection, the, the stop stories, the uh, real friends. Yeah. I have tons of, yes. I, uh, we, can you explain <laughs> that is, for us? <laughs> oh, that's a nice way to start. Yeah, nice way. You, you know this sentence, the more I know men, the more I prefer my dog. Yeah. Yeah. You know it. I don't know if it's it's uh, they say it also in English, but in French it's something you, that you can use. Everybody knows it. Uh, the more I know men, the more I love my dog. But yeah, I also I like these animals. I have a story with animals because I hate. I have a dog since five years now, and it's it's changed. It changed a lot of things in my life. You know, I am not scared about dogs anymore, and it's a change. You know, in someone's. Uh, uh, life because every day you can see a dog and you feel differently and now i started this collection every time i see a dog and i can interact with him or take a picture i put it on my instagram to see you know it's my it's my crew you know yeah it's you know when they do that instagrammers they always tag each other because they want to 
make you believe they're a family of friends and they're so everything's so nice and uh, I have dogs, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And you know the dog philosophy. You know it's not nothing. You know it's it's it. it when I I I think dog, it reminds me of you know the Diogène. I know you, how you call this guy in English. Uh-huh. I don't. I'm not sure of that one. The one who was living was living outside. You know. Is it is it a historical figure? Yeah. Uh, is he an ancient Greek? Is it? Yes. Um. Is it the uh Dios Diosenes? Yeah, must be this name, yes, Diogen. Yeah, he, he was known for being kind of a, a somewhat grumpy and like living in jars, and he would... Exactly, he was living in a jar, and the time Socrates, yeah, yeah. when Socrates <laughs> came to him to ask him, I don't know why, I don't know what, because, you know, he was asking all the people all these questions all the time. Yeah. The guy just answered, can you please move away from my son, because he was blocking the sun. From yeah. his jaw, you know, so he yeah. couldn't get Diogenes. Done in his face it's Diogenes. It was something really, something annoying to him. And Diogenes is the cynicism, you know. Mm-hmm. And the the word cynicism, it has something to do with the spirit of the dog and this guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Diogenes is um, for any of some of my friends that are listening. Yeah, we're we're familiar with Diogenes. He's uh, one of my friends. Kind of became sort of obsessed with him a bit. And yeah, talked about uh, him all, all the time. <laughs> yeah, it, maybe that was him, the real philosopher, not Socrates. You don't know, you know, because he was in the streets, you know, saying like, yeah. Yeah, he would. Uh, he was kind of known for yeah, not being the most pleasant character. I think he supposedly exactly. even threw his feces at people at various times. So yes, yes, yes. I guess that's it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I identify a lot with this guy. <laughs> But really, because I think, you know, if you want to think, if you try to think, if you try to discuss with people, express your opinion, it's not always that easy. And you have to have a, I have a troll in me, you know, and this troll, it's a philosophical way of asking things to people, you know. Mm-hmm. There is something about provoking, like when you, you're sick of people, you can't stand them anymore, yeah. You just have to send them a message. Maybe sometimes you you want to send your feces in your face, in their face. I don't know. Maybe you know <laughs> no, it happens. Is it, is it to provoke is like some... the emotional? Is is you know to try to get the true character out? Is that w- what it is you're you're trying to do there? Uh, what do you mean? You mean? But why do I identify with him? Or why would I throw fe- Why would I think it's funny to throw feces at people? No, well, you said uh, you know you're talking about provoking and you know oh, to be yeah. a little bit of a troll. Uh, yes, is it to see people's kind of true character or? Oh, yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Trolling is the thing. Is like I don't know. Let's imagine this thing. You know, someone is saying how how uh, peaceful he is and how he hates violence and stuff, and you just make him one remark and one sec- sentence after he's insulting you and he, you know, he loses his temper. And that's the, that's the thing I, I really like. You know, I think. Well, yeah, it's, I, it's, so this is some, something I've been thinking about lately is just even that the concept of uh, m- metaphysics. And I think a lot of people don't have a very uh, clear sort of metaphysical disposition. And I guess to explain what I mean by that a little bit more is that, you know, as you said, mentioned before you, um, you know, went 
studied philosophy and, uh, and as well as I did. And, um, when you, it's very easy to speak, um, very idealistically. And as you were saying, trying to provoke, provoking people a little bit, sometimes you can kind of see sort of their true spirit and even determine if they actually do act consistently in accord with their real true beliefs, like their core beliefs or their metaphysical exactly. beliefs. Yes. Uh, without going to metaphysical, I don't think even before that uh, higher level of, uh, of thinking, I, I guess there is something else. It's today. Okay. We, we, are, we are all like, everybody, th- everybody says we're becoming products, you know? I think what you look online right now, what you can't stand when you say we're so superficial, we're so this, so that, and they say this sentence, if it's free, then you are the product. I think it's, it's correct, but then I think you have to analyze why it's correct and what does it mean. And when you think about that, we are all products and we're all like tiny media relay there are many times you know in your life where you are asked something about society politics whatever uh, news uh, what happened yesterday or whatever and what you, your answer if you think about it your answer is just an answer that you heard or that you read better if you read it because it's more serious you know? and you are just going to explain this answer to people without saying that it's not your answer, it's something that you read. You know, if you, if you see what I mean, I mean, there is something like what you call the politically correct, you know, and if it's a problem, if it ever was a problem, it's because then people feel that they have to say this or that because this is okay and this is not okay. Yeah. So in the end, they just speak Speaking is not thinking, you know, and it's not because you you speak that you have an idea. So for I'm thinking about something right now. And trolling for me is sometimes you're in a debate with some people in real life or whatever. Real life or not real life. It's real words and it's a real discussion. And you have this guy, he's talking about something. He's just judging it from his, I don't know, it can be from his... Uh, social position, supposed, suppose, so, so, so social position, or from a place, w- when, you, when you judge something, you give yourself a place from where you judge, and you never want other people to doubt about this place. And this is what I, I, I often do, you know? Like, you, you talk politics to me, and you give me, and you, you say something, I'm going to ask you, how, how, where did you get this information? Why do you say that? Oh, really? That's interesting. Did you get it in the news or did you find it yourself? And you start like this, people get really mad really quick. Because what they want is not to, I don't know, they don't use the language the way it can be used, construct something. They use the language just, I don't know, sometimes maybe we use it just to fill the space or to have a social conversation with people. but whatever no matter the content i don't know it's something i wonder really and since i'm just going to finish on that but since i have no more tv it's it's going to be now maybe 10 years no more tv i don't listen to radios medias they can be called 
private or public services, I don't care. They're all, uh, they all share the same values to me. When you stop doing that, suddenly you realize you have no answers on certain questions. And maybe if you had to have an answer, you'd start thinking about it or reading many things about it. Instead of just saying what you heard last night on TV that everybody's going to repeat the day after at work, you know, just because they all look at the same shit on TV. You know? Yeah. I, that's, the, that's something I see in the problem of uh, educating people, getting out of this, being cynical, trying to think, trying to talk, getting deeper in the interpretation of art or whatever. Yeah, I, that's a, there's a lot there, which I really appreciate. Um, when, when you mentioned the, you know, as far as why, why do we speak is it's Philip's space. I, I think a lot of times our, our, the words that we use and the language that we use is about showing allegiance. So I, I kind of take it almost as a, a, a form of really just kind of tribalism. So the language that we adopt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes. Yes. You give me, you remind me of uh, something I had a few weeks ago. It was at a dinner with some guys. And I don't know if we, you've heard in France, we have so these prote protesters right now. They have yellow jackets on them and they go mm -hmm. outside. Yeah. You've heard about that? Yeah. The yellow jackets. Yeah. Yeah. They show them in the whole world to see how violent we are. It's not violent in reality. If you go out and you walk with them, you'll see it's pretty peaceful. Whatever. That's not the point. When you talk about these, this is the topic right now, the hot topic right now. Every dinner, every time you see someone, you can launch the discussion. Oh, what do you think about the yellow jackets? And you can go on for hours. I was at the dinner and the guy starts, did you know they have 43 propositions about, I don't know what, politics. Blah, blah, blah. Do you know that? And I was like, I was, I was already hearing, you know, that he was repeating something. So I started to ask him. Did you count the propositions? Or, and then I go, because you have 43 propositions, then it's less interesting, but you have to say, you know, and the, the guy couldn't answer. And suddenly he said, no, no, but I read that in that newspaper. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I just asked him, to, so why do you repeat the newspaper? You know, if then when I ask you, you just hide behind the newspaper. If you don't want to say something, just don't say, or say, I read in the newspaper that they have 43, 43 propositions and that's doubtful, for example, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause facts can be, can be twisted and you can, you can create a narrative around, uh, almost any fact. So, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand is when you read the newspaper, you, you get one side of the story it's not that it's not necessarily accurate. It can use factual information, but it's, it's pretty easy to twist statistics and facts to, to kind of form a certain perspective and one that's desirable depending on what side you want to be on. Yes. But also I think as, as, as citizens, we should have this duty to, when we say something, when we express an idea to first have a little analyze about where it comes from. You know, if I'm talking about politics, what's my position, you know? Yeah, if, like a healthy skepticism. My, try to think what's your position and try to think what's the message of the thing, of this fact you are analyzing and then try to read something, you know, 
Because if you read the thing, then you have an idea, and then you interpret the thing uh, through the idea of someone else. Then it's you know it's not going to be a genuine idea, even if your idea at the beginning is wrong. You know, at least you start with from something that you had in mind. You know, it's like in science, you make a hypothesis about something, and then you try to see if it's true. Yeah. You don't do the contrary, like you get the answer from someone else, which is his conclusion. And then you, you try to see if he's right. It's not the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Most people don't work that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's most people, well, most people, they don't, I don't think they really want to genuinely challenge their beliefs. I, I, and I think that's one of the things that philosophy I can say has helped me with is whenever I hold like will believe something or hold something dearly my first my first the first thing i usually do then is try and find the most the best argument against what i stand for and it's i i know there's um you know how there's the straw man straw man arguments well it's basically trying to find the strong man argument against whatever position you hold and that's that's something that i've kind of I realize as I get older, people don't really do that at all. They don't usually try to find um, the best argument against what it is that they want to believe. What I do is I try to take the contrary of what I think, what I think, and credit for one minute. I'm like, okay, I think this is the truth. What if it was the total contrary? Yeah. Sometimes you get things you can't say they're wrong too. So you have to deal with those conclusions too, and you have to make a new truth. But this is something, uh, when you study philosophy, at least in Europe, I know that, you know, you have dialectic and uh, the the way of thinking that we, you know, the way we make, uh, we, we write essays in poetry here, in, in uh, philosophy here in France, it's really specific. You have to, actually, you have to do exactly what we're talking about. It's like, you have a question, you have to imagine what can be a discussion on the question, and you have to be the advocate of both sides. Mm-hmm. And you can't. Pre- sometimes one side is totally wrong, and sometimes the other one is totally true. But in many situations, it's more in gray areas, and you have to keep one element from one side and another from another, and then you're going to build another truth about it. You know? Yeah. Something yeah. that's on a higher level that keeps the good in the two answers and rejects some things and define a new concept. That's the answer in philosophy. And this is not what we do when we talk. Actually, no, we want to be right. Uh, and there is also the ego. And there are many questions about why we don't like to be wrong or to change our mind. But Yeah, those gray areas. We, we don't like those gray areas, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you don't have a satisfying answer. Yeah. You don't have the answer right away. And this is, but also there is something it's, and really we are in the topic uh, from the beginning, not about the dogs anymore, but maybe about the public and the publicity, the fact that we show what we do on online. Mm-hmm. It, the question is, it, 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 it's, it's always going around the same elements here. I guess I I see something. <laughs> it's uh, also there is a problem in people's beliefs. You know, there are some beliefs that they don't criticize, and some others that they do criticize. And sometimes you just wonder why. You know, 
Yeah. Why do you are you critics on this and not on this? You know, this is something I always wonder. There is this sentence about I don't know who said that. That's the kind of sentence you find on on Twitter, but you never remember the guy who said it. It's the you know you it's a scientist. He says, you know, you paint a wall and you write on a post on a post-it on the wall. You write, don't touch fresh paint, and everybody's gonna touch. <laughs> And get wet and get uh, stained. And you say there is someone in the sky, you know, above the clouds. He knows everything about your life. He can do good, evil. He can do everything. And nobody doubts it. You know, everybody's like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting, you know. That's something weird. Yeah, definitely. I It's, yeah, mo it's most people aren't willing to question those yeah fundamental beliefs. And, and I think it goes a lot, it goes back to, it would undermine a lot of the foundation of the individual, you know? So for example, a belief in God, if you believe in God and have been raised that way and all of a sudden you kind of pull that out from underneath you yourself, it, it really makes you start questioning a lot more than what you want to actually face. Exactly. And I have no problem in with people believing in God. You know, I mean, I, I don't believe in God. Let's be clear. Uh, I question myself about how people believe in God and if I do believe and everything. It's a question, it's a personal question. The answer is pretty much no. But when I look at the way it, uh, uh, the way people believe and the way they argue about it, uh, I'm not satisfied, you know. It's, for instance, what you said before. You are raised in a in a family where people believe in God and this is your education and mainly that's the way you get uh, to religion through family generally you can be at one point in your life where you try to think and you're like okay so i went i uh, uh, my 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 path to religion was my family it's not really a choice you know you can you can think about it it's not a big deal and the conclusion of your discussion is that you can still want to go to church you can say I go to church because I like it, and it's part of my. It gives me. It gives me. I don't know a balance. Whatever, whatever is your need, and whatever needs it fulfill for you, good for you. But why don't you take it as it is? You know, without without pretending that you have answers about big questions. You know, you can say I culturally go to church, for example. Or you could believe in God and say, I can't explain why, but I do believe that in many occasions would be more noble to me than your fake explanations about the origin of the world and physics and, and many things that uh, can't stand, you know, five minutes of reflection. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 Absolutely. it's okay. Believe in it if you want to believe in it. But try to know why and how you do believe in it. Yeah, and and you have to be willing to defend it against uh, people who genuinely question it. I think. Yeah. And that's, but that's, yeah, that that takes a lot of time and energy. That I don't. And I don't most most of people who believe, and you, if you ask them questions about their beliefs, they're not really at their ease, and because they don't really know. Uh, how to stop, how to say yes, how to say no. They, they don't know what position they should take. 
Yeah, and I like I, like for look, for for instance, if you say to people, "Oh, you believe in God, so you believe there is someone who created the world in seven days," for instance, they're going they're going to be annoyed already. Oh, I don't have to explain this, blah, you know. They're like, okay, so how do you believe? Tell me. Yeah, how <laughs> do you they make sense answer, of that? And they yeah. can't answer it either, you know. So if you have no answer, but you have you are absolutely sure of something that's important to you. Then you're dumb. You know? <laughs> it's, it's like you know, you just take what they give you, and or at least say I'm dumb. I just take it as it is. Yeah, we we've always done that. Some people can say that oh, it's always been like this. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'm, obviously you know, there there we all have an element of that. You know, so but I I, I can't help but think that you know, some of these most important questions. The, a lot of people s seem to want to steer steer very clear of them. I think that's kind of that can be kind of frustrating. But yes, was your now was your family kind of philosophical like you? Did you kind of grow uh, up in that environment or? Actually, on one of the sides, they are Jews, uh, but they go to they they are but how can you say? Do they really believe? I don't know. I've never had the discussion with them, but they go to the synagogue and they, you know, they have the, all the, the rules that they respect, you know, mm -hmm. they practice, but GM. yeah, they practice. Yes. But, 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 but I've never had a theological conversation with my grandmother or my grandfather about it. All I know is that they respect the things they do all the celebrations and everything mm -hmm. on the other side, they are Christian from Italy and my grandmother was uh, a she was actually teaching religion to kids you know you know you can do that in your neighborhood in your village mm -hmm. you have this uh, person she's at church and she's just you know passing the like a yeah like almost like a Sunday school exactly teacher yeah yeah so my grandmother was doing that she was really involved in the church of her village but my parents, being uh, my one being Jew and the other one Christian, and not really believing but practicing sometimes because they had to, they decided they wouldn't choose for me. They would tell me that it's a personal choice that you make, and if you want to make it, you can. But you have different origins, and there are differences, so think about it, and you don't have to choose neither. You can say, I don't want to choose. That was something I, th I think I'm lucky about that because it put me in a situation to think about the questions right away and very young. Because you're like, okay, so what do they do? What, what's the differences? What's, uh, what's uh, common? What's interesting? You know, uh, it, it put me in the reflection pretty soon. In this, so these questions then started before you went to university. And, oh yeah, and it, were were you able to have this kind of back and forth with anyone in particular before you went to school, or was it really just kind of you exploring these topics on your own? Uh, I remember talking about it with my father, for example, because he was uh, so he was on the Jew side, but he wasn't believing, but he was practicing and saying, I don't believe, but I practice because it's a family thing, you know, we gather and I like the social side of the thing. Okay. 
So I had conversations about him about, uh, actually, if you want to talk about religion, you have to talk about the proofs of the existence of God. You know, you have to have this uh, conversation that they had in philosophy for s centuries and centuries. You, know? you have to get through some of the answers that were given, maybe read some books and try to think uh, of the question how it was in, in history, you know? Yeah. How different people, different periods answered. So yes, some, some talks are with my father. Also school, school always has been a place because if you start reading, reading novels, uh, novelists, you know, they are, some are really philosophers because the way, the, the, the stories they tell and the, the beliefs they give to the characters. Yeah, uh, well, Cam Camus like is always with, one yeah, of my favorites. Yeah. Which one? Camus. Camus, oh yeah, it's yeah. not my favorite, but yeah. Yeah, Definitely. I always loved him. And I remember pretty well my first clear conversation about this was when I uh, entered, you know, the first year you study philosophy in France, it's at the last year of, uh, of high school. You don't start before. Before you have literature, you can read novels, you study letters, but you don't study philosophy. And when you start the last year, the year you pass the baccalaureate, our exam to go to university after, that year you start philosophy. And the first book I was asked to read was uh, uh, Cartesio, Descartes. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, uh, so in French is the Le Discours de la Méthode. I don't know how it's translated. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I'm not, in, I know of Descartes obviously, but I, I wouldn't be able to rattle off his books. <laughs> uh, it's a book that deals with these questions in a very somehow candid way. You know, the going to, uh, the cogito ergo sum and all of this process, I think it is the, it, 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 it reflects pretty well a process that any kid can go through, you know, what to believe, why, uh, when. So the, the name of the book is The Discourse on Method. Okay, yeah. You've read it? Uh, no? Yeah, I've, well, I've read parts of it. I, th I think I have it. I have, have it here somewhere. I've... It's been a while since I've picked it up, though. But yeah, I, I mean... It's a, it's a discourse on method. Method meaning uh, how to behave. What should you do in some situations and why? So it's about morals and about behavior and about what's good, what's wrong. And of course, about what to believe and what not. You know, what can we believe? You know, the Kugito Argosum is the answer to all the doubts. I doubt about everything and if it was a level that made me believe in things and there are many ideas like this and then you go, come to the, the the point that you know you doubt so you're pretty sure you're thinking. Yeah, I think therefore I am. So, yeah, this this was the, to answer your question, this was the first uh, huge conversation <laughs> but it was with a book. But, you know, you it's a con when you read a philosophy book, it's a conversation. That's why Plato only wrote dialogues. 
Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the interesting things too about philosophy is so much of it, especially because of Plato, uh, revolves around dialogue, which, you know, dialogue can't establish facts. It, it really is about, um, essentially seeing, trying to, trying to basically see if your, your rational thinking is clear enough. It's like, it's really about clarity of thought. And yes, I, exactly. And Socrates can be considered and as the first troll yeah. <laughs> of history, you know. I'm not really kind on finding the first this, the first that, but Socrates definitely was the guy that was really annoying that you would find on your on your road. Because the troll, that's what it is, you know, it's that little creature you find in the middle of the woods at night. Yeah. And he starts bothering you and following you everywhere. And you don't know if he wants you good or evil. And Socrates was like this, you know, for, for many people. He was just uh, annoying. He was there asking questions and never was satisfied about the answer because he had another answer from someone else that wouldn't match your answer. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He, people would get a little tired of him sometimes. And Yeah, you know, when he asked... And- he asks what's courage to a general and he gets the answer and he's like, Oh, that's funny because I asked the cook and he told me, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And that's, that's, that's trolling, but it would be even more trolling today. If you think about it today, one of the problems, and it's going to go in that discussion, even if at the beginning, it looks, I'm going to go a little bit far. It's that if you think about someone having the attitude of Socrates right now that would speak in the media, you know, it's impossible. Oh, yeah. You know, we live in a world where this free speech and this free possibility of asking questions to people that should answer the question, like politics, like old people that you said that are responsible for something, then we can never ask them anything. The dialogue is always fake. TV is just a way of faking dialogue. You know, media is always a way of faking dialogues. You can't say anything because then they won't get the ads from the, 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 the advertisement. They won't get the money from the support that they have in private companies. And so you can't say anything, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. You, everyone's basically you handcuffed. You can't turn on your TV and hope to have an answer because already it's never going to be the right question. And this is the lesson of Socrates. It's always that oh, you, you, you're satisfied with this poor way of seeing the thing, you know, not me. I don't have an answer. This is why he's boring. He says to people, "I don't have an answer," but I'm pretty sure from what you said that is bullshit. <laughs> Mainly, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because there's there's always the flip side of the story, and yeah, <laughs> and also because truth is something that you build. It's not an easy answer, at at least to him, or at least on certain topics, and that people they don't want to go through the process and wait and have an answer after they want to have, you know, they have to answer. Yeah. Well, it's, it's difficult living in that it's a precarious situation when you don't have an answer. Cause I think so much of our, our minds operate in the, you know, the black and white. We, we just mm-hmm. want that clarity to be able to say yes or no and act, um, 
I think it really kind of comes down to wanting to act emotionally towards things on intuition. So we think in these binary terms so that we can emotionally respond as opposed to being thoughtful mm -hmm. about it. So th that's my take on it anyway. I, but I'm, I could be totally wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. That, 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 I think that is something also that deals with education because you are raised to answer when you're asked something. And answer doesn't mean, oh, you can't answer. I have no answer. I don't know. You should know. If they asked it, that you should know. And about God and religion, I remember a day in my life that was revolutionary. It's the day I discovered a word. I'm going to look for it online before I lose time. <laughs> agnostic. Agnostic. Yeah. You know, agnostic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's another position. It's like, okay, you doubt, you have questions. And what if you didn't, you could say, I don't have the answer. Yeah. Being an agnostic, that's the answer is I don't know, you know, or there are different ways of thinking and I'm interested in many. Or maybe the question is too big for me. You know? Yeah, that, like this. that's where I stand personally. That's how I identify as I identify as agnostic because I, I just I genuinely don't know. I really and that's that's as honest as I can be. And it's, you know, the concept of God is something that I, I think quite a bit about, especially being raised in a, a Catholic uh, house and, uh, you know, but I, I just gen genuinely don't know. I mean, at one point I was atheist, but at one point I was also Catholic. So, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that's the yeah, and that's that, best that's answer I've come up with. You know, that's also something interesting to me is that what you just said, you gave three possibilities and you said, Usually we're too binary, black or white. Usually we're even binary means we choose one, but we don't even keep two. And we don't accept to say it could be a mix of three. Yeah, maybe it's a mix of three. Why not? You know? Or it's ju or the concept of God, even the one that we're raised with so much of the time, whether it comes from a Judeo-Christian background, maybe God doesn't exist like that in any way. Maybe he's sort of, you know, what they refer to as like Spinoza's God. It's just kind of this indifferent being that uh, isn't really part of our lives at all. And that's a possibility yeah. too. <laughs> this is where, so, this is somewhere I, I was going to go. Uh, because... I have no, no answer about the question, but I have answers about some ways of believing that I think are total bullshit. And this is where I mostly, I think, this is a point where I start to be annoying to people. It's when I, I can affirm with a certain certitude that some ways of believing and some actions and what's called religion it's not interesting, it's dangerous, you know. So in my, in my reflection about religion, I end up making a separation a little bit binary, maybe, <laughs> uh, with uh, some facts in the history of religion that you can definitely say it was dangerous, you know. Religion has been a pretext for war, Religion is today a pretext for uh, rejecting people. Religion is in contradiction with itself when you look at people 
they go to church and they pray that they should respect, uh, you know, uh, anybody who comes to them. And then they reject anything that's different, you know, because it doesn't have the same color, because it doesn't speak the same language. Uh, you know, this is a reality in religion and in believers. You have lots of believers that are totally not tolerant when the discourse of their religion is tolerance. You know, this is a fact. You can't ignore it. You know, they gather and sometimes there are violence. There is a violence. This is all the side of the religion that I totally disrespect and judge. And as you said before, there is Spinoza, there is also Pascal, you know, Blaise Pascal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Pascal's invent- wager. Yeah, the guy, he invented the calculator. He's known as the one of the most uh, important mathematicians of uh, his age. And the guy says, uh, mathematics, uh, you shouldn't waste your time on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, that's good because I'm I'm not very good at mathematics. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, but he's the best at it, and he says, "Oh, it's a waste of time." It's uh, actually it's a comment about Cartesio. You know, he says Cartesio, uh, too much time wasted on mathematics mm-hmm. because for him there is a higher truth, but you can't really explain it with mathematics reasoning. So I think this is interesting. You know? Try to see what belief is for what it is really. A pure belief, you know, a supposition, a strength, a voice, uh, a feeling, a meaning, you know, a direction, something you can't really explain. So if you say you can't really explain it, why would you uh, take it to a a lower level and start explaining, you know, try to put reasoning in something where maybe there is none. <laughs> and in the end, I think it's more noble to say, I believe and I can't explain because I feel something. It's on the side of the feeling of my heart and not on the side of the calculations of my brain. This is something I, I accept and I think I think it's interesting. Yeah, being able to, people just claim that it's simply just faith. Yeah, and also... If, if I had to believe in something, I wouldn't accept the theories that explain uh, rationally the creation of uh, the world. You know, I wouldn't believe this, uh, the religion, I mean, the religion thoughts, the religion way of explaining things in a rational way, rational uh, being used ironically here, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, if you tell me there is a creator and he built things, this is not okay. It's not satisfying for my brain. If you tell me it's love, it's something that looks like love to me, ah, it starts to be more interesting. Explain me that love. Show me you know, what it makes you do and how you act and what person you are. And let the science take the rest, you know. Yeah, yeah. Try not to intermingle the two too much. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't mean that one, uh, uh, that you can't be rational on a way and believe on another. Just like Pascal, his figure is really interesting. Or Spinoza, it's the same, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there has to be a, a, a certain consistency, you know, yeah, with with beliefs, even if, say, for example, believing in God, you mentioned love, there has to be consistency with even a definition of love. So, as you yeah. mentioned, religion and violence and uh, bigotry and hatred, it doesn't correspond with any kind of real, I think, real definition of love at all. So, <laughs> that's what yes, I think exactly. it has to be rational. And for instance, let's go back to my personal life. (laughs) I told you my grandmother was teaching uh, uh, religion at home, kind of Sunday school. Well, she was she was somehow a bigot. You know, she was believing and she couldn't explain and she would repeat what she heard and everything. That was the bad side of her uh, side. Let's say this was not. This is something that she was too, you know, and if you started talking to her about and arguing about the facts, she couldn't hold it for long. But in the other hand, she was someone really nice and really she was turned to the others, helping, you know, she was giving, she was putting energy to help the others accept some people. You know, and this is something, if it makes you do that, and if you have love in you and you go to the others, well, good. Good for you. Call it religion if you want. Call it belief. Call it God. Call it whatever. Sometimes I think God is a word that we all use, but we all have another definition, and this is also what works. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Yeah, so now, now we're obviously getting very philosophical and talking about your background in philosophy. Um, at what point did photography enter the scene? I had two experiences as a kid that were, uh, that made me, made me discover the uh, photography. One was, uh, it was nearly at the same age. I don't really remember which one was first. Maybe the first one with, was this one. I was on the holidays, was something like 10. And uh, my mother brought a camera that I still have. A little uh, automatic Canon point and shoot. And I remember she told me, oh, I'm sick of taking pictures. Why don't you take pictures? What what year was this? Oh, I was 10 in uh, 88. Okay. Yeah, I'm 40. I'm not too far off. I'm actually, my my, uh, 36th birthday is coming up here next week. So, yeah. Uh, I go on 41st. Nice. Yeah, no, I just think it's interesting because I, th- I think, you know, the, the time period, obviously, from which we're all from has, it impacts us. So, you know, for example, if you oh, yeah. grew up, growing up with the internet is mm. going to make you quite a bit different than mm. <laughs> being, uh, having to, you know, watch TV or read books or, or you know. It's just a different experience. So that's why I ask. It's uh, oh yeah, no, it's interesting because it's it's true. If you start photography with a digital camera, it's mm-hmm. not the same as if you started with a a, ch- a dark room. Exactly, uh, you have a different, uh, yeah, totally. And so the first experience was not was just my mother saying, "Oh, I'm sick of thing, taking pictures. Why don't you do it?" And I remember pretty well. I have this image in my mind. We were on an island in France. And um, I had uh, some rocks in front of me, 
the ocean behind and some island, you know, tiny islands, rock, rock islands, you know, small things like this. And I remember suddenly I put my eye in the viewer, viewfinder, and I'm like, why should I put the rocks here? Why should I put the island there? How much sky do I want? How much ocean? I'm like, wow, this is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I I suddenly, I I felt right away that these were the choices that the possibilities were infinite and that uh, you could express yourself through that. Uh, I didn't say to myself, like, uh, the the first thing I really, I, I really thought the possibilities are infinite. That's for sure. And then I thought it must be fun to try them all. You know, and try to, to see the results and compare. What's the what kind of picture do I get if I put, uh, I don't know, half of a uh, half of sky, half of sea, half the rocks, no rocks, a boat, no boat. What kind of image do you get? You know, that was the first experience. And the second one, I must were I must was twelve something like this. I was at the on a, a camp, day camp, you know, you go on holiday, you go in the morning and you go back at night and mm-hmm. you play with kids and you do activities. And one day there was a, a photographer and we would spend one day with him. Nobody, not a lot of kids wanted to do this activity. They prefer playing, you know, soccer, volleyball, uh, go to the swimming pool. I said, okay, it's interesting. Let's do photography. And with this guy in one day, we took pictures. I actually have two in front of me right now on my wall. And we took two pictures, but we we took the we learned everything about uh, time, aperture, ISOs, and uh, framing, angles. And we took pictures, and then we developed the film ourselves, and then we made the prints in the darkroom ourselves, oh, all wow. in one day. That's really cool. Oh, yeah, that was something. Really, that was something that that day I realized this is really int- this is really something I feel good doing it. You know, uh, yeah. I'm like uh, it's interesting. I feel good in this dark room. It's interesting the process, the chemicals, the result, everything. So then, at what point that did you just kind of delve into it? At then, then when I was oh also my father had a, a dark room at my place when I was a baby, then he had it, he didn't have it anymore. But he still had some cameras. And when I was a teenager, he he gave me one. And I remember that we were playing taking photos with friends, but that was not something really. I was starting to play with it, but not regularly. When I, I started at the at the end of uh, must be 16, 17. Then I remember, oh, I should take more pictures, do more things with this. And it really started after uh, after high school. That's when it became kind of a passion? When I was at university, I took a, a class, a night class, because I was studying philosophy, and but I, I registered to a class at uh, in an art school, public art school, and you would pay to have a night class. And it was also studio photo nude first nudes and um developing the films and uh, printing in the dark room you would do everything so is would you say that's kind of where it all began then is taking that the college course at night yeah that was uh, 
a period where I I made a lot of photos. And I remember I started with my girlfriend maybe to shoot our intimacy or make a portrait of her when she was not fully dressed, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I kept doing that as long as I was studying in philosophy and there was no internet, no preten- pretension to show anything to anybody. And then I quit. I stopped because I was studying to to get a job, become a teacher. You know? So I stopped and I focused on studying. And when I started being a teacher, I didn't do photography anymore. And then I became a father. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that was that was in 2006. Okay. And uh that w- what's fun is that the period the period where I stopped is pretty much the period where the digital was uh coming mm-hmm. and slowly coming and the analog was dying, quickly dying or slowly dying. So at, at the same time I I stopped which means when I stopped, I stopped in analog, and when I got back to it, it was right the point where you could buy a digital reflex for uh, an affordable uh, price that wouldn't do something too uh, low quality. Because yeah. at that time, if you'd buy uh, the first price reflex, you'd have nothing. So it, my first one was the Nikon D70S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, started to be okay for the price. Yeah, so that was fun because when I uh, I got back on photography, it was changed. Yeah, uh, it was not film anymore. So I started again with digital because I had a kid, and you know when you have a kid, you're like I need photos of my kid. Having a kid is one of the first thing that make you buy a camera. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure people that uh, work in this market know it pretty well. <laughs> And so you're yeah. like, okay, so let's buy a reflex because reflex is better and I, now I can afford one. And so I started with that. And a few years after, I realized that digital isn't really photography. And so I got back to analog and had more fun with it, more pleasure and more uh, interesting experiences. Yeah, that, that's interesting that you say that um, digital isn't really photography. Uh, it. It, it's kind of a weird thing because I, when I first started shooting, I, I, I can kind of relate in that, that that's what I started shooting was film and that's what I got into and, you know, develop my own film. And it, it's obviously, it's a really beautiful medium. And then it got to a certain point where I kind of started shooting digital quite a bit later and I got, got a digital camera to be able to just afford to kind of shoot more. And yes, exactly. You do it for economical reasons too. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> how can you not say the sentence? It's so convenient. Yeah, you know? it is. It's, it's very convenient. And I thought my understanding or my knowledge of shooting film would translate over really nicely into shooting digital. And I was sorely disappointed. It, it really is a totally different medium. And, and I think yes. that it has, a, it, there's a beauty in it in and of itself but they're not really related other than just the fact that the final process is the final process can look similar. It's a, it's a photograph, but 
I, I kind of think of yeah, it as and two also the camera, things. the camera really looks like the one you <laughs> used before. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, it's 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 interesting that you say that because I I I really feel like I'm. Sh- it's they're they're really two different mediums in my mind. Uh, digital. Oh, for me too. Uh, for me, it's clear in my mind. It's a uh, this is a reflection that I think I have answers now. Maybe I'll change my mind later, but for me, for now, okay. Digital is photography because it writes light or it writes with light. So photography is uh, the meaning is respected. Mm-hmm. But for many reasons, technically, you don't create the same object with the same process. And the camera looks like this, the old one, but instead of the uh, the 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 lens uh, except the lens sorry for my my bad english except for the lens there what what happens behind the lens it's totally different okay it has the same size it, there is a mirror it, it looks like it but isos it's called iso but it's not really iso you know it's something different yeah for example and what you get is a series of number understandable by a, a machine it's a language you know that's created from a sensor from a perception of reality by a machine that creates a, li- a language that's not physical it's a series of number you know it's called digital because it's a series of number it's one and zero and zero and one it's a code if you can recreate the code by writing it you will get the same picture I mean, if you could write a code with the, I don't know the definition of all the pixels and where they stand and the color and everything, you will write the same picture. When in, when in photography, in analog, you can't do that because it's a product that's on the paper and it's a physical reaction to light. You know, it's chemistry. It's real. It's physical. You know, it's it has another nature. Now, on your Instagram, you say that you shoot both I, digital. Sorry, and just film. one thing. Just oh, one thing. No, sorry sorry, about I, that. I interrupt you, but just one no. thing. When we <laughs> you say can digital, me <laughs> I know, but because I, I thought about that before, but when you say, and we all say it, digital is convenient. Yeah, right. You have to have a computer, uh, internet connection, uh, a camera, uh, a software. Yeah. A software. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get all of that, you know. Yeah. It's not. Uh, when, when you say, Convenient, I think Polaroid is convenient. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't have to buy a screen, uh, a computer, a software, and you will get an image that's actually a photograph. And it's already printed in front of you. And when, and when you show this to kids, it looks like magical for them, to them today. That's, that's true. interesting. The new generation, they look at old stuff that are that should be easier to understand because logically they are from uh, an, an older period they look magical to them when something coming from a computer looks totally natural to them yeah it's interesting that shift between yeah the the digital and the the organic how much that's shifted in such a short period of time do you prefer then analog over shooting digital oh yeah no definitely analog no, no hesitation. Uh, so, uh, but 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 you know, I have a lingerie shop in Paris, and I shoot all the products we sell. Uh, we shoot them, 
And it's true that if I do a product picture, like just the product, I'm going to use the digital because there is no meaning in, in wasting film and scanning. And it's going to be to, you have to wait a long time to get the results. So for that kind of use, digital for sure, but it's not the way I express myself. So you really use uh, digital as a, for kind of more pragmatic or practical applications. And then with exactly. analog, you that's kind of where you really exactly. connect. And even if you do just use it like this, you realize also that when you shoot digital, the picture is not made when you shoot it and you always have to add something more after to finish it. That's the main problem for me with digital. I don't say I don't edit my analog pictures but they already have a character or some direction that I'm going to accentuate or that I'm going to balance in a way. When I shoot digital, what I get is a result that I have to work on after. Yeah. If you do digital, you have to go on post-production. I hate post-production, you know. <laughs> I yeah. hate doing that. It's, it's not, it's not because this is the work, the work of a graphic designer and this is perfect for digital photography because you can change everything because in the end, there is just uh, a sentence of code and numbers that you can interact with. And it's really interesting too, but it's graphic design to me. Yeah, that that's what? essentially my mentality as well. I when I if I when I shoot film and I don't really don't do it as much anymore, unfortunately. But when I shoot film, I don't edit anything. But my mentality with digital is that when I shoot a, a shoot something on digital, that's just the beginning. I'm spending a ton of time in post process. Yes, but, and also I have to think. I'm going to go in that direction in digital. For example, I have my directions that I always choose. Uh, in some context, I will go uh, under exposure, uh, over exposure, because I know that after when I'll be on my, when I, I will be on my computer, I will start working on a direction that's interesting to me because I shot. Uh, it's an example. I shoot uh, uh, with a lot of ISOs and uh, I close a lot. For for instance, it's a choice, and then I'm underexposed for the whole set but it's a choice at the beginning so that after i have to start with that so you because if i try to get yeah is to give me a direction yeah the, those creative even limitations it's it's intentional from the very beginning yes because because but if i do it with digital it's because if i don't do it what i get is a neutral image standard image something if you because in art or not even in art Let's not even pretend we're talking about art. When you make a picture, there is a notion that you don't have in painting, for example, that's, I think, it's uh, unique to photography or maybe to music. It's to be right, you know, the right picture. You know, sometimes you say, oh, this picture is right. When this one on the side who's, who looks alike, it's not right. You know, yeah. and you don't you don't really know why there is something right. Maybe it's a balance between things. Maybe it's the light that's more interesting. The way 
you have it in the first image. The rightness of things, you know, in photography, it's something that when you do digital, you'll try to get the right picture. And this right picture, uh, it's pretty much standard. It looks like all the other digital pictures. It has no style, no direction, no character. And I, I, I exaggerate a little bit, but when you take analog, if you choose to shoot black and white, you can't get back to colors after. Or yeah, yeah, you can if you paint the picture. But I mean, once you're in black and white, you're in black and white. Yeah, that's in it. digital, you can always change your mind. Always, you can go back to the beginning of the process, erase everything you've done, and start again. This is a uh, for me, it's sign of anxiety. You know, it's too much. There is too much you can do. Yeah, it becomes overwhelming. Yes, and also I have no idea. Because I'm not a painter. If you gave, gave me a pencil and I am a drawer and you gave me a white sheet, I already see things and I'm going to project these things with my hand on the paper. Yeah. This is not, this is not a habit I have because I don't draw. I mean, I do, but I'm, I'm not good at it. But I do it for a hobby like this. But when I take a photograph, it's different because when you give me the camera and I put my eye in the viewer, I suddenly see things and go in a direction to express them. Well, I see it less when I take the digital than when I take the analog. I'm less in that uh, attitude when I take a digital camera. Yeah, yeah, because you know that there's always that possibility to just keep reinterpreting and reinterpreting. Yeah, Which... because I'm also because I'm going to make a hundred photos instead of ten. And you know this, you know it. If you are a photographer, yeah. when you talk to photographers. They all know it's a problem. Uh, there is this uh, little um, drawing that you can see on internet. There is a drawing where you see, uh, you know, the old uh, film, the, the rolls, the 120. You could shoot 12 pictures with it and you would make six that were good. Then you had the 36 uh, pose. Uh, you would still make six good photos. Yeah. Now you have a... Uh, an SD card where you can make one million photos and still in the end you're going to keep six you know? yeah that's true but with the digital you're going to spend weeks wondering which one well I, this this it doesn't uh, satisfy my <laughs> myself yeah it's yeah that's something that over the years I've realized just trying to streamline the process to where I'm not it's 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 a huge time waster so trying to, well, well, one of the things on your website I was going to mention before, it kind of summarizes it where you said, I try to make the photos when I shoot it, not afterwards. I, yes. That kind of speaks to that. You know, it's, it's, I think just about intent and knowing what it is you're doing and having that vision. Um, it takes a lot of discipline. And so uh, it's a, it's a different approach. It's like I used to come because there is this word post process. I kind of invented the one pre-process because when you shoot analog, you're going to pick up a camera that has a format or uh, limitations or possibilities. It's the same. It's just uh, another way to thing. And uh, you're going to pick up a film 
And this film, it has ISOs and you won't be able to change them after. You can play with them. You can push the button uh, and try to do something and experiment, but you won't be able to go back. If you mis made a mistake, it's going to be a mistake and it's going to stay a mistake. If you have a happy accident, it's going to be a happy accident. Then you're going to try to learn how to do it again. So it's a different approach. Yeah. You know? And this is the pre-process because you pick up a film, you pick up a camera, you choose daylight, not daylight. It's the same. It's like, a, it's like building the studio. The film is part of the light. It's part of the atmosphere. It's part of the direction. All the films are different. And before, because we had more choices and a better industry, we had more choices of directions because of the grain, because of the darkness, because of all the, um, the, the properties of the films and the cameras. Yeah, you have to know all of that going in. Yeah, or you can just try. Sometimes you just buy a, a film and you try it and you see if it fits or not, you know. Yeah, I have plenty of rules that um, show me trying. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, with um, how did when or when did nudity then become such a focus in in your photography? As I told you, I think I I made the first nudes uh, with one of my girlfriends when I was around twenty, uh, for our pleasure, you know, and it was really intimate. Then I started the photos uh, at this class I, I would take at night uh, in an art school. And we were making nudes. But when you go to an art school and you take nude photographs, you're not supposed to go in the sensual direction or erotic direction. Yeah. Uh, then there is the question, what are you supposed to do then? Okay, it's interesting. So it's just like uh, I think there is a lot of uh, there is a lot a lot of things to say about that. Yeah, bodyscapes. I don't know. Uh, let, let's 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 keep that for later. But I don't know. So I started doing nudes there, and the first uh, that's funny. The first were were with a a man, a redhead man. I remember it. I was very comfortable because it was a man. I I I, I was more anxious after with the girls because of the respect you show them when you look at them. This is also something I felt right away, really easy with a man. But with the woman, there is already something weird because of her position in the society and the way we look at her. There is something. So, well, we started this nudes and I remember one time at the very first lessons, I shot some photos and the process that every week we would share our results with the other students. We would put all the pictures on the table and the teacher, a very nice guy, uh, he, was, uh, he was saying, okay, so my idea is to take everything that you made that's the same, everything that everybody could make, we're going to throw away. We're not going to keep that. It's not interesting because everybody did it. He didn't say it's good, it's not good. He said, you, you all did that, it's not interesting. It's Let's not, keep not all unique. the rest. Yes. And let's keep all the rest and look through the rest. And I remember pretty well having uh, remarks from the others that my photos were erotic when theirs were not. And I didn't realize it when I shot. But then I understood when I looked at the other, others and mine. 
And then I, I, I remember that I, I, I kept in my head, uh, one day I would like to do something that goes in that direction. It won't be in that class, obviously, because this is not <laughs> what you do in an art class at night. Yeah. Strangers. But uh, I kept it in my head like this, like uh, this is a, something like uh, a lead I would like to explore, you know, go through this path one day maybe. And then little by little it happened. I can explain how, but if it's a question for you. But the main answer was yeah, this is how it started with this class and the nudes and the different difference that they asked me to do or they made me do between a nude that's just a nude and one that has a sexual tension or sensuality, call it how you want. Now, uh, with that class, you said that you saw that yours had maybe an erotic or a sexual element to them because of the contrast with others. Can can you explain what it was that you saw there? Oh, yeah. I shot, I remember, we shot, it was in Strasbourg. Strasbourg, you know, in France. It's near Germany. I was, uh, I was there when I was studying philosophy at the beginning. And the teacher was Xavier Chevalier, actually. He's a, he was also an artist and had some exhibitions. I've never, I've looked sometimes, I don't know what he's doing now. He was also a singer in a grindcore band. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice uh, association of things photography teacher at the art school where he was a student actually young father and singer in a grindcore band he had a long beard and long hair so i remember that my photo was uh, we shot in a, the roman bath of strasbourg and uh, the girl was sitting on top of uh, a little wall something like this and i shot i framed it from behind her back and you could see the beginning of her, of her breast from the side, a little bit under the arm. It was a black and white. Uh, it was 3,200 ISOs, a lot of grains, lack of contrast, you know, grain. And you could see the, the shape of the beginning of the circle, you know, the it's called in French the birth of the breast. I don't know if it exists in English, but... I haven't heard that phrase. I would, I would, the way I'm thinking of it, I think of it, think of it as side boob, which yeah, doesn't, side boob, doesn't sound as less, nice. Yeah, it's less fluidic than birth of the boob. La yeah. naissance du sang. There is a book actually by a philosopher called La naissance du sang because it's where it starts. But start is not a nice verb. Yeah. And this, yes, this was, uh, it's true that the photo was evoking something else you wouldn't look at the girl the same way that you would look at the girl in the other pictures that i've made or the other made because they were more they had another point of view so you wouldn't uh, find yourself in the position of the voyeur maybe do you remember what it was like when you created it could you could you no, look at your... No, uh, not really. No, I, I wasn't really realizing I was doing something different. Mm -hmm. I was just framing, you know, trying to frame something. So then as you uh, progressed in photography and started experimenting, um, you know, shooting with girlfriends and all of that world kind of started developing, when did shooting nudes become just something that you wanted to commit so much time to? You know, one day you feel like uh, you have to do something because you no, no, not 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 you have to do something. 
that that you really want to do something. You would really want. Uh, you would really like to try. And uh, I guess internet has something to do with it because at the same time, I created my MySpace account <laughs> and uh, creating this uh, MySpace account to show my photography allowed me to meet uh, girls that uh, really wanted to make pictures too. So the, 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 this is how I met the first girls that said, okay, let's try to do something. You've never done it, but let's try. So that's it. That's the, how it began. And the more I did it, the more I felt I wanted to explore. What was it? Um, do you know specifically why you wanted to explore that? This, this will be my answer because this was the first answer. The first question in your email was what appeals you and why do you do nude? And this is always the question. Why do you do, do you do what you do? Yeah. And I don't have an answer. I can't say why, you know, I can't say, Oh, uh, I have, uh, I could, I could try to develop some kind of political philosophical <laughs> discourse about women today in our society. And it's true that there is something that I do in my photography that uh, answers to those questions, I think. But I really think, I don't know why I do the, the or why I, I really want to include nudity in my works or uh, sensual tensions, sexual tensions. I think that if I do it, maybe it's to get an answer but the answer, the answer would be, uh, it's not, it's like all the pictures are some answers to it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like, it's not, I have a word to answer or a sentence or something I could say, but while I'm doing it, I'm answering this question little by little. Yeah. And right now I know that in what I'm doing, it's really important to me to have a trustful uh, relationship with a model. And be clear about what we build together, that the ideas that we put together are okay for everybody, that I don't want to steal images from her because uh, I think it's satisfying to me, but not to her. I have some principles that, that now I have. I have some ways to do things that are some answers, you know, on why and what, what I want to say, what I want to show. I don't know if I'm clear. <laughs> well, I think this is the difficulty of the subject matter and really why I'm asking the question is I, I don't think there is an incredibly clear answer. And I I ask this because, you know, I I pose the same question to myself all the time. Like, why am I doing this? What am I doing it for? And I, I want there to be an honesty that I have with myself, first off. And I, I really can't, the best way I can answer it for myself is just I'm trying to figure something out. And I don't really completely know exactly what it is I'm trying to figure out. I know it has something to do with sexuality and its place uh, in, in our lives. Because the way I think of sexuality is that it's very multidimensional. And we usually only think about it in terms of sex. But I think it's present kind of everywhere we go. And so for me, with my photography, I'm kind of asking the question by capturing it like where does this have its place and what are the dimensions that are going on here and i know i can't answer all of them and that's why i'm curious you know for people who are creating this you know what what is 
how is it that you are seeing it? What What is it that you're exploring? And I, I think kind of we're all exploring it to a degree. And, I, and that's not really an answer in and of itself, but I completely, uh, I can empathize with what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think it's difficult. So I, I'm there with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. The, I'm pretty sure it's like, if you make a comparison, it's like saying, it's like, let's take a philosophical essay, for example, that you have to do in class. They ask you something, but you have three hours to answer, you know, and the three hours you're going to write is the process to get to an yeah. answer. I think when I shoot, it's like the, it's like the, the essay you're writing and you're getting through answers. These answers are going to be the pictures. The general answer is going to be the theory in the end and what it says and what you did. But then you have to do another one you know, to explore something yeah. else and try to get other bits of answers on other things. But I'm sure that one of the goals on why I do it now, but it's not the goal I had at the beginning, but it, it, it came after. It's one of the goal is to create something with a model. It, it looks basic and simple, but uh, it's not because you have uh, a society of photographers and models and many ways of collaborating together. There are some with money. There are some that has to be professional and published in places for magazines, for brands, for whatever. It can be commissioned. It can be something that uh, you do with a model because uh, you want to create only for yourself. It's a different approach and it's going to go in a different direction. What I do is, in what I do, it's always free of any uh, pressure to satisfy someone who would buy the picture or someone who would uh, have made a commission. Yeah, that, you know? that's a difficult position to be in, especially you. It's. Well, I was going to say, yeah. you know, you mentioned earlier that you don't have a TV and I, I think it it very much is about trying not to have those outside influences. So trying to maintain that slight level of autonomy or agency is, is really hard to do to not have that outside pressure on you and to, to react to kind of a demand of, let's say for example, like Instagram, like, you know, you, when you post a particular picture, it's going to have a, get a certain reaction it's difficult not to yes. make photos for that that environment because exactly. I think that ultimately uh, it's difficult try uh, try to not become the product that people want to pick on like for. If you start to do this, then you just become a product that people want. That like then you're just a supermarket. Like what's the demand also? It goes back to that superficiality. I don't think artists yeah. or yeah, I, I, I I go back to the superficiality or I go back to a capitalistic system where you're supposed to sell, buy and create uh, what you create is not the, the picture. What you create is the money with the picture. Me when I want when I create a picture, it's for the picture. The, the, the goal of the picture is the picture. 
okay, it's not true because then I have a Patreon and I try to get money from it. Okay, but it's not, I sell you something. It's more support my work. It's, it's different. Yeah. But you know what I, I mean? When I mean, if you're a photographer and you get into a magazine, they're going to ask you to shoot in a direction that's their direction. Mm-hmm. There is an artistic director. He wants some direction. When I do what I do, that you see on Instagram or on my website, you just uh, try to find someone that goes that has the intention of creating for creating, just for the result of it. And the main goal is that when I send the pictures to the model and she's happy and I'm happy and we spend a good time together and we have the will to do it again, then the mission is accomplished. Do you find that to be the biggest hurdle then in your, yeah. in your work? Yes, it's the it's a good reward. How how do you maintain that discipline to stay on your path? I I assume you've probably um, made mistakes along it. Uh, oh yes, of course, how, of course. How do you how do you find that? I guess what does that process look like for for you over the years to be able to go back to that genuine place of of creating what it is you do? Well, the mistakes you make is when you do things that you do things knowing that you do them because they are going to be liked by someone else. This is a mistake for me. And sometimes you use sexiness to do that. That's your weapon. You, know, you do a sexy picture when you could have done something different, less sexy, more interesting. And then you're guilty because you are the superficial guy. Yeah, you are supplying superficiality, but sometimes, sometimes it's also okay to entertain. You know, it's not. This is what is interesting about photography too. Is in photography could can be so many different things. You know, you can be a wedding photographer, you can be a product photographer, you can be a reporter, you can do nude in your apartment with some unknown women, you can be make portrait for a magazine with. Uh, uh, film directors, actors, you know, it's so different. The the activity of photography is so different. And so there are many differences that you can, you could have many different answers, I guess, about where you do it. I, I already see a difference where I do it for my lingerie shop. And when I do it for, for myself, it's different. Yeah. Even if I decide what I do and I decide my own directions, I still do it for a shop, so yeah, the, there the are ends some is things different. I don't follow myself. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. It's serving a different serving a different role. Yeah. Now, you know, maybe a better, uh, maybe an, a, a just as relevant of a question um, to asking why you work with nudity is to also ask if you think that nude art is important. Oh, interesting. First of all, I don't necessarily really work with nudity in the way that and this is also something i adjusted in my position because what's important to me is sensuality and uh, to go to that uh, result i don't have to have a full nude or even nudity what i look for now it's important because it's also something that I can say right away to a model that proposed herself to me. It's 
we will not go towards your limits. You decide what you want to show. It's important. I say that I insist because I work a lot with girls that have no experience. And this is something I really like. And when they have no experience, sometimes they think they know why they do it. And even if they do, they don't necessarily realize the consequences on showing yourself on the internet in some positions, you know? So I prefer to be clear and say to a girl that she doesn't have to show specific parts of her body. So I use nudity, but not always. And when I do, it's with someone that's who's really at her ease with nudity. It's important to, you know, yeah, to distinguish that. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I because agree. In the in the other hand, on the contrary, let's say you'd have, and it's something we said before. I said, oh, we could talk about that later. It's when you do uh, what they call an academical nude. There is nudity, but there is no sensuality or no sexual tension, or at least there is the will of not going into that direction. It's interesting, you know, that means you can do sensual things with dressed people and not sensual things or sexual things with nude people. Yeah, I I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't take into account either because so many people equate nudity to to sexuality or sex that that's kind of the logical conclusion for most people. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to differentiate that is an important point that, like you said, there could be someone who's nude and it's not sexual or maybe a different degree of sexuality. Uh, And then there's someone who is wearing clothes and there's a sexual or sensual element to it. Like you were saying in the academic sense. A look can be more sensual than an ass. Yeah. So that, then is that what you're trying to focus on is is the sensuality of those moments? Yes. And what, what I try to focus on is I try to create characters with the model. It's like it's like being a filmmaker and you say, okay, let's today let's play this character. Right? Today I showed, uh, for example, today I posted some photos of Adele. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If you look at her, she's she has a look. In all the pictures, if you look at her face, she expresses different things. And that's the character we decided to create that day. You know, she came with this character. We made the picture. And tomorrow I see her again. And we we will create something else, you know, with another character that she can be. Because I think there is a problem in this. uh, uh, The consideration on what... uh, That we get on what we do uh, with a certain public. It's that nowadays, it's okay to make the confusion between real life and uh, representations of this life, you know? Yeah. If you know where, where I'm going, it's like we're, it's either we are showing a fake image to make believe that we are happy or we are in a situation or... This is why we tag ourselves when we travel. 
pretty much all social media wherever you go yeah yeah <laughs> uh, everything you eat and uh, you, you give yourself an image yeah oh then people are going to imagine you're rich and you go to the to hawaii every weekend okay fine yeah but also there is also something in there is the this confusion of uh, it's the same it's 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 in the it's in the air for a long time now it's the, the the guy who wrote the book he's supposed to be the character of the book this is wrong this is not what literature is is about and uh, but but now it's like everybody think that the actor is the character, that the writer is one of the characters, that it's always about him, himself, his life, and it's everything is real, you know? Yeah. They, they take quotes from a book that are said by a character in the book that was written by a writer who created a voice with, re, with which he, 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 he took directions to express something and tell stories that are, are not his stories, but invented stories. And we take it as something personal about the, the person who wrote the book. It's not necessarily, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. It's not TV reality everywhere, you know? Do you think that there's a, a becoming a problem with people trying to integrate th those characters uh, too much into reality? Uh, you know? Yeah, I think people are crazy. <laughs> it's it's like it's like believing Bruce Willis actually saved the world every time. <laughs> I like that example. That's a good example. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, or Tom Cruise in, in all of the right Impossibles. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I loved it when you said that to her. You know. Yeah. It's there is an episode of Friends where uh, uh, there is this guy, Joey. Joey is an actor and mm -hmm. he's playing a character in a series and he has a fan. She comes into his life. She's in love with him. And she makes the confusion all the episode between him and his character. And she calls him by his name. He's a doctor or something. That's pretty much what everybody's doing with Julia Roberts and Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise and Leonardo DiCaprio. And do, why, do you, why do you think that's the case? Because when you read a book, it's always the question. When you see journalists uh, asking things to writers, it's always, so, do you really believe uh, uh, this? And the, the this is a sentence said by a character that may be a child, a woman, a cow, because you can make a cow speak when you write a book. Mm -hmm. And then they are going to ask him if uh, he really thinks what the cow said you know, they, they ask him on the first degree you know, of understanding. Do you really think this? It happened last. There is this French writer, uh, Michel Houellebecq. Mm -hmm. Every time it's the same. Because he's a provoker, you know. He knows that people are stupid, so he knows how to provoke. And one of his characters said that one French city is very ugly and he's never seen something so ugly. And there is a journalist in the press asked him do you really believe this city is the ugliest thing you've seen on earth you know it's his character who went to the city yeah we don't care if he thinks that you know, <laughs> that's not the question of the book yeah it's it's probably missing the the bigger point as well so then you have uh smart writers as michel welbeck who always write books 
where the main character is called Michel. So then people get even crazier. But he knows why he does it because he sells his book after that. That's interesting. That's um, and that's fine when he says that Nior is an ugly city. But in another book, he said that Islam was the most stupid religion on earth. <laughs> so that was another problem. Oh yeah, it was also said by a character, but everybody asked him, "Do you really think?" This? And because he's a troll, he said yes. And that was another problem. But yeah, the problem is that we we want to make a confusion between reality and, and this is also the star system, the TV reality, you call it the TV reality. You have real people being themselves and being filmed and being characters at the same time. It's confusing. Yeah, I, I for, for me personally, I can't help but think that a, a big part of this is because we actually lack so much real tension in our lives. I, I, I heard an anthropologist point this out. And so it's not my original idea or anything, but, um, that, you know, our society has, we're significantly more comfortable than, than we've ever been. We have luxuries and time that we have never had human beings and that we were, we evolved to need tension in our lives. And I, I can't help but think that so much of this that social media or watching films, it's a way to instigate attention in our lives without it actually being dangerous. Yes. That's no, no, it's very interesting it. because you can't say he's wrong because first of all, if you look at the quantity of productions that we make to entertain ourselves, that we look, movies, series, uh, when I say entertaining, I don't say it's bad, but if there is only this and nothing else, yes, there is a problem because all of this takes time and takes place in your mind, you know. And in the end, if let's talk about movie. A movie, there are differences between movies that are written by authors and entertainment movies. And sometimes the two mix together, and this is when you have a popular success that uh, the, 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 the university teacher and the, the gardener are going to love for different <laughs> or same reasons. Because oh, this is true, it's interesting, because yeah. sometimes you have a, a movie that's popular and good, you know, because it's, it's, it's more than just entertainment. I think this is something... Like, I have a kid, he's 12, we're talking a lot about this because he's growing and educating himself with musics, arts, books, stories. And for, for instance, he knows the difference between the series of books he's reading that comes out every month and they try to sell him another episode and they will sell him 20. He has fun with it. It's interesting and he's uh, addicted to it and he loves it. But also when he reads a classic book by a French writer, he kind of understands where is the difference, you know, uh, of uh, the intention behind the book. Uh, if you, you read Maupassant, you read uh, Jules Verne, it's, it's different, you know, it's not just entertainment. There is something more meaningful to you that you will keep with you after you read the book. Yeah, there's a, there's a depth is, to This that. is something, I, I think this is something that people, there is a lack of quest of this in people. And we are the people, and when we sit in front of Netflix and we decide that we're going to entertain, 
sometimes we don't give limits to it and we do it instead of doing something that could be more important and less uh, superficial as you said yeah yeah i i it was an i remember hearing something or reading something one one time where it pointed out that the biological brain can't tell the difference between reality and make believe so for example when you watch a movie you respond to it emotionally you know you'll cry at a sad part or laugh yeah. at something funny and I never really thought about how much of an impact that could have uh, the fact that you can intellectually know that, well, this isn't real, but biologically you're still getting the same sensations that you crave in human inter interactions, but it just doesn't have that depth. Yes. You become superficial for real. Is this what you mean? Yeah. By, by, by watching superficial things, you become superficial. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's, I, that, that I'm overload. going to tell you something that's too bad if it stays in uh, online forever and it's uh, total bullshit. But sometimes I have this feeling that even the way we talk has changed because of what we watch. There is a standardization of the way we talk and our reaction reactions. Like, let's say the typical American, oh my God, you know, or amazing or things like this that we say all the time to qualify things yeah in an empty way in the end it's so empty because it's always the best thing you've heard the best thing you've seen the best thing you this the best the best and i love it's it it's always yeah. it's, it's always <laughs> empty words it's love like things. love yeah how many oh yeah i love it yeah i love it i remember i was studying in strasbourg and i saw a, a bunch of americans passing by an irish pub and looking at it and saying, so romantic. <laughs> yeah, an Irish pub, you know, I wouldn't qualify it as romantic. I, I wouldn't but either, yeah. <laughs> I, they wanted to say something about it, but instead, and this is a problem where, because then you don't learn how to express your feeling in the correct way. You can't say why you like it, how you like it, because you just use empty words instead of trying to find meaning. Yeah. So how do you hope that your work contributes to the, the depth in society then? How, how do you hope people are taking it? First of all, the money question. Mm -hmm. If there is no money between you and your model, it's totally different. Because you know there is a society of models and photographers that are working together. And even when they do it for themselves, when you have lots of amateur photographers, artists that just get in touch with models and create together. When, when this contact is made, money can be a question right away. When money is a question, then it means you rent someone's services. You know? Yeah. It means, it means you're, you're allowed to, well, to expect certain things that the model will do for you because you paid her. In most of the case, I mean, I think it's not what I do and I will explain it after, but this is a, 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 a way of doing things that for me looks weird. I have lots of friends, lots of amateur photographers, and they do it all the time and it's fine. I don't judge it. It's not, I don't say it's bad or it's good. I just say that I need to do it differently. 
Okay, so this doesn't mean I never give money to any model because sometimes I do. And if I make money with the photos, I will give money to the models after. That's sure. Mm -hmm. Also, if they travel and they have expenses, you know, I help. Sometimes I prefer to help, uh, you know, by uh, helping you. Uh, like I can give you a bed for a night or two or something, you know, I prefer it that way so that it's more of collaboration and you don't feel like you're here because you need the money, but you're here because you want to create something with me and with my photos. So to answer your question, how do I think I, uh, what's my answer to these questions about and the, the, these problems? It's that already with taking the money, putting the money on the side, helps you a lot to see things differently. And I know a lot of photographers, and maybe you, you, you know what I mean, because if you do what we do, you are asked money by models. And sometimes you say no, sometimes you say yes, and you have your own, uh, I don't know, your own logic about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you also know lots of times or lots of other photographers that, or even models that are not satisfied by the fact that they do it for money. They would love it to do it for something else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You do it because you need to eat. Sometimes you ask money to someone. Yeah. But this is not the main reason. But you also have models. They have no sense in photography, no interest, nothing. They just know they're cute. They know how to pose. Yeah. And they know how to be satisfying for the guy who's going to pay for the services. Yeah. These girls, I... I'm not interested. Uh, I don't get in touch with them. And you yeah, know. I, I, I actually, I kind of feel the same way. I, I don't really want to work with people who are only interested in, in the money aspect and not that, for example, wanting, wanting money is bad or anything like that. I, I think it's, it's obviously it's a, as a necessity people want yes. the need to eat. Uh, it's, I just don't want to work with people who, don't really care about me specifically or my work most specifically. I, exactly. Yeah. And, and so it's, and it's hard and to you know, differentiate between those first, people. <laughs> yeah. And you know, if money comes first, then it's going to come first. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's the end. It's, and also it's, uh, it kind of fakes the relation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's especially when I think my, my, my mentality is I'm, I'm trying to create art. Um, now, whether it's good art or bad art, that can be debated by whoever wants to, but uh, I'm trying to create art. And if you're not, if someone's not there to do the same, then I think it's going to detract from that. So it's, I think it's all very nuanced and, uh, it's, it's obviously difficult. Um, but it, as far as when people view your work, what do you want them to take from it? Or what do you hope to contribute to kind of society or culture in general? Uh, this, I hope they will see that I'm trying to do something genuine. I, I hope they will see my intentions behind my work. And, and if someone says to me, oh, I like the stories you're telling us with your photos, uh, it's fine. I'm okay with that, for example. Could be another answer, but this answer, for example, is already something like... I told you a story, and you got into it. Uh, it made your imagination work. 
your interpretation work. Uh, this is already a goal to me. Mm -hmm. Also, if, if I go back on what you said before about money and it's also, there is something I wanted to say. It's like sometimes you can have also money and creation at the same time. You, know? you yeah. can have meetings of artists that are made by a brand and they are going to give them lots of money and the results of the collaboration are going to be great because something is going to be created because people are going to gather, share some ideas, try some things, do some things. Uh, we all know that uh, that's why industry meets artists. But sometimes it's it can be done fakely too. You know, they make fake meetings, they just associate people, and that's the problem with photography. That once once the photo is out, then that then that's what people keep in their mind and will remind forever. You know, you can say, oh, this singer and this uh, designer. They made the cover of this magazine, but in reality, they've never met before. They're just going to, to fakely make a family of people, a crew or whatever. And, and then pe people think it's true and imagine things when there is nothing behind. Do you think that um, your work is a reaction to that? No, because I'm not in, in that industry. You know, I'm just doing my things on my side. I'm so little. You know? So it's no, 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 it's no, it's just something that I see. And I know that in what I do, I try to have, you know, when you, when I start to work with a, a model, it's going to sometimes last a little bit. We are going to see each other uh, on a, uh, I don't know, regularly for a year, two years, or even more sometimes. And this is a, the, the, the relationship that we have together behind the photos. Uh, I think sometimes you can see it through my photos. You know, you feel that she's confident. You feel that, and these things, yes, they are a reaction to what you said, to the superficiality of things. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of processing every everything that you know you're saying and we're talking about here because I think one of the difficulties with. Um, the subject matter that I think about, and, and maybe you ha can have an answer to this, is um, there's obviously a lot of shame and uh, taboos surrounding nudity in, in this kind of work. And I, I didn't know if maybe your work was trying to show something or a, a different aspect or a way to exist that ran contrary to how gener generally how so society wants to perceive it. There are lots of things in what you said, yeah. Because there, there is the hypersexualization of uh, everything. That is something that is true. So where do I start? Um, I'll start this way. I wouldn't. I, I say the taboo. I, I go on the taboo. Mm -hmm. Taboo is when you can stand something and it's too too strong, too dangerous, too. It's not tolerable for the society. It has to be uh, described as a taboo so that the whole society gets an answer to this and take a direction that's contrary to it. It's like, uh, like that. What I see today is that there is the taboo on certain things and not on others. 
Because it's, as you said, in your question, you talk about the taboo, and in the end, you talk about the hypersexualization. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And it, happen yeah. it happens at the same time. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you get banned on, on, on social media because you posted a nipple of something that you would try to call art or not entertainment, let's say. And in the other hand, you you turn on your TV, you put MTV on, and it's like having a, a porn channel on yeah. <laughs> all day long, and everybody is fine with it. You know, it's it, it's weird. There is this industry playing with the codes of pornography all the time, and everybody's fine because everybody knows that behind this, in the end, everybody watches porn. Also, everybody's fine because this makes money and it's a good model because when you make money, it's good. And in the other end, they can't stand the sight of a nipple in another context that's more genuine, let's say. Let's not even say it's artistic or not. Let's say it's something more intimate, private. Yeah, what, what they can't stand is the, is, the, is the nudity in private in the end. But if you're on a stage, with all the lights on you, and you do it, it's good. It's okay. You know, it's it's fun. Almost as long as it's for entertainment. Yeah, because really, when when people ask about censorship, you know, I'm not against censorship. I think kids look at things, and some images are too strong, and they're not ready to see them, and they have to be educated before. So I'm not against it. I, I honestly but, am not but, either. But, yeah. but, but, but please, if you tell me that MTV is fine, all the videos are fine for any age, uh, I'm not okay, you know? Yeah, well, my analogy is you don't, you don't feed steak to a, an infant. It's that there's, with human beings, there's a certain ages where you can process certain things. And so I have, I have children too. I have four kids and, and they're, some, somewhat of a similar age as your your child um and there are certain things that i absolutely do not want them to see <laughs> so just a blanket statement censor censorship is bad uh, i think a lot of people use that um way too generally i i, I agree yeah. maybe in the context of yeah like breasts or nipples or you know certain levels of nudity but there are absolutely things that i don't want my children seeing yeah and and then the question is uh, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. It's that they are so hypocritic, hypocritical, you say, about yeah. it. Yeah. Because on one hand, they ban us for no reasons uh, because we're no one. But if you're someone uh, famous, known, whatever, you can post whatever you want and it's fine because you play with the limits all the time. You know, it's like the difference between the girl who has a tiny tanga and she's fully shaved so you won't see anything but you see through it i mean the shape is here but you don't actually see it yeah when on the other hand on another picture you can imagine that the girl has no panties or she's taking it off and that's sexual because she's taking the panty off when the other one is fine because you don't clearly see all right. Yeah. You know, that's so it's not it's not okay. It's the way things are interpreted that it's it's not okay. Yeah. It's wrong. The double standards. Contrary, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. What should, what should be banned is the vulgarity. Or not even sometimes, even vulgarity is fine. If you decide to watch it, it's fine. The problem is that internet should allow you to do everything. Like if you go on Flickr, for example, uh, you can decide if your profile is restricted, moderated, or uh, safe. Okay, so I put my profile on restricted. So I'm sure that according to the rules of this site, if someone registers, creates his account, if he clicks on, I don't want to see restricted accounts, he will never find me. You know, uh, yeah. informatics is supposed to solve all these problems. Then you have social networks that are mainstream and are, that are applying other rules. And because they are mainstream, we want to be on them and we want to keep on expressing what we want. But then we don't apply to the rules. We, 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 we are not fine with the rules. We don't respect the rules because we want to show things differently or we interpret things differently. That, that's a problem. Because, of course, Instagram knows why he bans the nipple. You know, there is an intention be behind it. It's never free. It's a choice. When you choose something, you exclude, you, you reject something else. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it, there becomes a politics, you know. It, it's where it starts. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Yeah, clo you close one, why, one why door. Why did Tumblr the change their mind recently? Why? You know, why, <laughs> yeah, why, why, first of all, why would they all change their mind to the same exact conclusion, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. Like they could change their policies. Okay. They change their policies, but for different policies, not for one exact same policy everywhere. Yeah. We can't help but think it's motivated. Like you said, uh, by money. That's also that's only... maybe by the fact that there is only one person owning everything behind this, you know, only one person. It's all the same guy. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's crazy. Yeah, it's. I, I was even recently having a conversation about um, during the dawn of you know, not really the dawn, but during the industrialization, there was a reason why laws were created against monopolies, and they these aren't really applicable to any of the uh the tech industry at all which is kind of interesting but that's a whole other kind of rant yeah uh -huh. but um I, but one of the things uh, uh you know i'm curious with is w with this with your art i mentioned before we're talking kind of taboos and and stuff like that do you feel like you have a lack of a sense of shame that a lot of a lot of other people do because of your involvement in in your work yes it's interesting. This, I like this question because I think that doing what I do, I pushed or I changed my shame, my, 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 the limits of my shame or the limits of what I would tolerate or show. Yes, or sh show. Yeah. If you look at my works, it's clear that from the beginning to now, it's getting more explicit so little i've done more explicit things recently than ever before and i would assume with more confidence for sure. so, as well uh, confidence yes confidence exactly and also get the confidence of someone 
the model who, with who you do the things. So, as uh, I said, I, I, I'm going to give you an. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story that I often tell. Yeah, absolutely. Time. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, one time, I I was supposed to shoot with a, a model. She's called Clementine Poulain. She's a very nice Italian model. We knew each other from years from social networks, and we knew we would do something together one day, but. It took a long time. And when it happened that she, she came to Paris, we discussed a project that was clearly explicit, you know, really explicit. And when she arrived at my place, we started talking about it. We were, I, I didn't feel like doing it. No, it wasn't, it wasn't possible at that time because this is not you do the first time. This is not what you do, sorry, the, the, the first time. I, I wasn't confident and I knew First of all, I knew that she didn't know me enough, you know, to, to do this and then maybe regret it or not. So I said, well, let's switch to something else, you know, let's do something different. We'll find and we will have another occasion another time. And we did have another occasion and we did something more explicit and it was really fine. Yeah, that's, that's, um, yeah, having that obviously trust and respect in that positive dynamic is, uh, and this is what allows me to to change my limits and to uh, to 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 be less ashamed more ashamed or to there is um a word i'm looking for right now to dare yes to dare i dare doing yeah now i i dare to do things that i wouldn't dare before would you encourage other people to push their limits in those in that respect of, of shame no i think it's uh I, you don't have to encourage to push or not to push because there is not one answer for everybody there are some people that will regret to push just to push and some others that will regret that they didn't push when they maybe should have pushed i i, I think it's an individual answer that any everyone has it's like it's it's your sexuality. It's your uh, if it's sexuality, it's the same. It's the same if you take a drug. You know, it's the same. Some some people they feel that they want to, they really feel like it. It's not because they want to do like the others. Is not because it's because they they want to try the this experience. It shouldn't. They shouldn't be pushed by anybody or not pushed by anybody. You know what I mean? It's the same yeah. with the drug with the shame or dare to show things that are sexual or sensual. Yes, of course, you can answer easily and say, oh, it would do some good to some people to, to try something sometimes, you know, open your legs and your mind will follow, maybe. <laughs> well, but, just to but, clarify, but, I didn't mean towards the model. The answer, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mean it towards the model per se, because I, I, especially in that, um, in that situation, that I don't, that wouldn't be, appropriate in, in my mind but oh, no, i wasn't talking as, about the model. Okay. i was talking about people in general just, okay okay you, i just, I just wanted push? to make that clear so <laughs> oh yeah no it's clear yeah. the okay. question was should people push in their own lives yeah uh, their level of shame or dare to try to do things that they wouldn't dare before mm -hmm. uh, the answer is what i said before it's i think it's they shouldn't be pushed or not they should try to feel what they want and know what they want and if it's interesting to them yeah, and let's try and try in good conditions, and it's the same for sex, drugs. Uh, I don't know experiences like this. 
But in photos, uh, there is this guy, he really wants to try to shoot his wife when she gets out of the bathtub. Uh, he really feel like there is something thrilling about it. Let's try. Why not? Do you think that uh, it could ever go too far? Or, or you don't have to answer this, but even personally, have you kind of crossed the line where you've come back from and said, no, I don't really want to venture in that direction? Okay, so your question, correct me if I'm wrong, is a little bit on the crossroads of sexuality and expression of sexuality, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, so because, we were, I was going to say we were mentioned, yeah, talking about shame, and you know, there's obviously a, a line where different people are comfortable on on different levels. Have you ever crossed sort of a line and kind of come back from it? realizing that, okay, that's a, a line that I don't really want to go anymore? Or do you think that there that there is a line just in general? Well, I think there are lines, plural, and everybody has his own line or different lines. And in the relationship you create with the model, you it's what I try to get is to understand what where is this line. And then we discuss about it and we try to do something around the line you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah but but also also there is also something else if you read the you know manara the drawer the, uh, the erotic drawer manara milo manara italian so. guy he writes he wrote a little text about censorship and he said yeah well i draw people you know i'm not hurting anyone when you draw a girl if you want to draw her dead with a knife in the throat, uh, it's okay. You know, you, you didn't hurt her. When you make pictures and when you deal with sexuality in your topics or sensuality, and if you need to have certain positions, expressions, situations, and if you have to ask the girl to do it for real, you know, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a huge difference because if you, if you draw the girl, there is no problem. Actually, it's not the same to represent yeah, a drawing and a picture. So I have to understand the limits of my model. And I have to also know what are my limits and why I want to go in a direction. Also, I'm married. This is also an answer. I'm married and um, I have to take, I have to have in mind what my also what my wife wouldn't like me to do you know i don't want to offend her and do something that uh, makes her uh, uncomfortable yeah uh everything that you're saying it all revolves around respect respect for, yeah. for others which i think and is crossing the line can be not asking and uh, you know like let's imagine you you have a model and you she intends to do something really explicit and you talked about it with her and then you do it and then the, the results come and then you just didn't think about it it can be genuine but it's it's a lack of respect you know because then your wife is going to take that in her face and maybe it would have been better, better to tell her before oh we're doing this this way you know just to yeah it's respect yeah yeah absolutely uh, which I, I think is a, a a key point, but I, I think it's something that is is 
can be overlooked quite a bit that with all of this, especially for people who aren't involved in working with nudity and, you know, working with nude models and having that being in that situation, I think that is just the fundamental aspect right there is having the respect for the other person and who they are and their lines and kind of what you were saying. Yeah. I think, I think that's absolutely critical. Yeah. And uh, this is a, a little, uh, parenthesis, but we talked earlier about money and you clearly see where money becomes a problem with, with what we just say right now with respect is that money is going to, to push, as you said before, money is going to push uh, people's limits because there is a goal, it's money. And you have girls that are going to be models. How many stories do you know about girls that were models or even made porn or whatever, and then they regretted it so much that they had to take all the images down from internet and and it's understandable because they suddenly maybe realized that they were doing they were a slave for money and they could do something else, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so it, it definitely it's, happens. It's really different for, for me. Even if you do porn, it's different. You know, there is right now this alternate alternate porn that you can find online with people that make it outside of an industry. Mm -hmm. Well, it changes the message, and because money is seen differently. It changes everything. Yeah, yeah. Even if you do the, the same thing in the end, it, it's it's like you take two shootings with the same results, the same uh, explicit or not explicit, the same things that you see, and it's all different because the relationship that put the people together to create this uh, picture are different. Yeah, they're they're they're. It's definitely a different relationship when Monty money enters the equation. Uh, I mean, and that's that goes with everything. Um, you, I mean, how many times have you heard, for example, families being split apart because fights over inherent in the inheritance or something like that? It money has an effect on people, but <laughs> yeah. in, in in negative ways. Um, and there's no doubt about that. But um, now you you mentioned though pornography and a, a question that I've asked. I've asked almost everybody, um, what, what is the line for you between artistic nudity and pornography? And how do you even think of your work in regards to that? Uh, um, the, this is a, also a tough question because, uh, if you take the word pornography and what it means for real, it's already hard to define. So maybe it's easier if we say pornography because, yeah, that's the question. When you say porno pornography, do you think about an industry or do you think about uh, an expression? Because pornography, there is also gra graphy in it. It means that you, you write something and porn, I guess it's supposed to be something like dirt. You know, it's to write the dirt, you know, it's uh, dirt, naughty things that are bad. This yeah. is the meaning. I, so I, there is no problem in doing pornography in the first hand, in the first, there is, you know, but, but when you talk about pornography as an industry, then the answer is totally different. You, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, I think the yeah. two words, they, they always kind of, uh, interact together or it's, there is a confusion. No, absolutely. Um, I, where I get, where I'm coming from, I guess, is how would you define pornography as, as opposed to um, art that 
nude art. Yeah. Okay. Um, especially uh, my, in easy, my easy answer is, oh no, sorry. I interrupted you, especially with the other part was even just how you think of your work in regards to both of the, those definitions. I would assume yeah. you would, you wouldn't define your work as pornographic, but I, I could just be making uh, an in incorrect assumption. Um, I, but I think that's also how you would define pornography. Cause I, I think it's that we, we use the term pornography and as you even were stating, it's a, it's a, it can be a difficult thing to have some clarity on because what is pornographic? Yes. My work has been, some people have said it's pornographic. I, I don't see that in any way it's there's no intention there but at the same time someone could define what i do as being pornographic i think there's people who would could define your work as being pornographic um i don't think it is but I, i'm curious to know how you would how you would define those statements and where you think your work stands in relation to it my first answer is that when i i'm asked <coughs> i i often answer that uh Pornography is when you masturbate or when the goal of the image, more than the intention, let's say the goal, the, the, the image was made for you to masturbate. Maybe it's too easy as an answer, but it fits in some situations mm -hmm. because then I consider that what I do when I do it is not made for you to masturbate. But uh, I don't know what people masturbate on, you know, or, 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 or even worse, I know uh, some people would masturbate on anything. Yeah, you know, even cars. If, even, if, even your dog's picture, kids' pictures. So it's a problem because I'm not responsible for what you do with my picture. You know, I do it with my idea. It shouldn't be for you to masturbate. I can't control it. So in my intention, no, it's not pornographical, but it raises, and this is where I stand for erotic, er erotic, because erotic is, is a limit right under, it can be, it can show the same, but the, the, the goal of the image is different. The, in the end, what you get from the image is not the intention to masturbate, it's the idea, it's the image itself that with, you will keep in your mind, that will bring you things. I don't know, you, you carry an image in you, in your memory, as you carry a, a story from a book, a story that you liked, you don't know why, it talks to you, it talks to something in you, it, it talks to your stories, it's an interpretation of things. You like This is where you like it. And an erotic picture can be like this. When a pornographic picture, if it's just porn, it's not meant to do that. Then maybe it's the same as we said before, you know, industry can meet art and sometimes you can have uh, something that's meant to be uh, sold as pornographic and that's a good piece of art too. Also, there is, there can be a place for an art that's only pornographical because it's explicit. If, if pornographical means explicit, yes, sometimes my work is pornographical because it's explicit. Because if the girl spreads the legs on the chair and you can see everything, and if she, if she looks at you in, through the camera and she's trying to provoke you, yes, it's going to be pornographical. 
the result is, you know, as in we are showing something bad or considered as bad. But in another hand, I didn't do it to put it on new porn and to sell it uh, for people to masturbate. You know, do you ever? But maybe some will. Maybe some will. Yeah, know. yeah. And like you said, you can't control that. But that's not what the goal was. Uh, do you get? Does it upset you if people take it out of the context you created in? It's. I. I think it's. Uh, you. You can't know. You can't really know. Even if. Even if. Even if your your photo is light. Like, let's say people tell you they like your photo. You're going to be satisfied with that because they like it, so it goes in your direction. It satisfies your ego, whatever. It's satisfying. But maybe you you don't know the reasons why they like your photos, and maybe you wouldn't like the reasons why they like your photos. Maybe you don't want to know. You know, so maybe someone's going to tell you that he doesn't like your photos for good or bad reasons to you. But maybe someone else is going to tell you he likes your photos. It, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of... So the question was, am I, uh, am I mad if they take it out of... But Con- I don't really context. know how they take it. You know, I can't know how all the people take it. This is why the other day I, I did this story on Instagram and I put, oh, can you tell me what's your interpretation of this photo mm-hmm. so you can yeah. put words on it? This is something I like because this is where you discover what's in people's mind and this is where you put more than just the photo and the, I like it. You go, uh, you, you try to be less superficial. You know? Yeah. This is interesting. This is, internet should should be used more like this, you know? When you say you share and you express yourself, this could be the, the right way to do it. Yeah, to have... Uh, but but more... we use emojis more because we yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, the, the back and forth to be able to, to interact, be able to interact more. Um, now, one, one of the... Throughout this our conversation, you've, you've mentioned um, a number of times, you've talked about stories. Yes. What kind of stories are you trying to tell or inflict in people? You think it's a way not to answer your question, but it's not. It's that I think each story is a story, you know, and every single person who sees it can see it the way he wants. I mean, another way to another way to say it is that I don't write stories with words, you know. I could, I could. Sometimes I, I write texts uh, on my blog or whatever. I write. When I write, I use words and I say things and you read them with your eyes and you know how to read and there is a dictionary and words have meaning and we can talk about that, you know? Mm-hmm. If you use photos to say something, then it's it's difficult to me to say, to give my interpretations of my photos because I think there are many interpretations. And what I like is the fact that some people can tell you what are their interpretations and you can compare it to you. So I don't have, you know, one thing to say. I have some stories to show. Do you I, see- don't really say, I don't have a message, like, you know, if 
that's the question. Well, even just, I didn't know if, um, cause I, I know it can be difficult, but I didn't know if you saw a vague narrative that was threading through your work. Oh yeah. Some elements I use, I can say there are things that, uh, interest me that I can talk about. Like for example, in my works, I've made some series where you follow a girl from outside to inside or the contrary. You can see her in the streets and then you can see her in an apartment, in a closed place. And I've done that quite a few times now. And this is something, you know, these are elements that I choose to keep for all the series. And then I try to repeat. And then it's on the, how I'm going to play with the elements that's going to be interesting. For example, I don't know. You can uh, use nudity outside in the public space and uh, dress the girl inside. You can show her undress dress outside, inside, and it will have different meanings. And in the end, it's going to tell a story that will maybe have a beginning uh, and an end and something in the middle. And um, I don't really know, this is an answer. I don't really know the story I want to tell, but I know that in my story, there is this character, she's a girl, and we will find her outside or inside and follow her outside or inside and play with all the, 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 the images that you can create uh, by changing places, clothes, uh, makeup, situations. I don't know. Yeah. I like it. For example, you see the girl at the window, you know, at first you're someone in the street, you're in the eye of the photographer and you look, uh, at the window at the first floor and you see a silhouette of a girl, you know, and on the second image, you're inside with her. This is something I like to use, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those, use those... elements like this. I, so I have many elements like that I could talk about, but. I don't really know the story I want to, 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 to tell. It's more, I use elements. I kind of, um, I'm probably in somewhat of a similar position. If someone were to ask me that question, I don't know if I wouldn't really have a clear answer. I, the way that I, I help, I can't help but think of it is the, if there is a story going on, I'm, I'm not really conscious of it. I just feel like I kind of am writing it as I go. So it's probably doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense. Also, so. I think there is there are differences between photographers as you and me that mm -hmm. are writing one same story with different models and some others more as me that are writing different stories with different models. You know what I mean? Some yeah. photographers, they do their photos and you look at their photos and you're like, oh, this is him. Is it's his signature, and the girl can change, the the place can change, the background can be totally different, and you know it's his signature. And this guy, he's telling, he has the strength of changing all the elements, and having a style that keeps you in his storytelling through all the faces you're going to see. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, that this is not what I do. For example, I do more one series with something and another. And then sometimes it crosses, it can have a, a cross path and talk together. That's yeah. not necessary. 
yeah, it'll maybe influence another shoot, but they don't necessarily all interconnect or anything. Yeah, the question is, do you always make the same picture over and over? It's like, do a writer write the same story over and over? You know, yeah. do a filmmaker, some say, oh, I hate uh, Tarantino. He's making the same movie over and over. You know, yeah. maybe this is what it is. You know, maybe it's it's the if you look at Lynch, Lynch, yes, you could say that, but it's also not really true. But yeah, he's always looking for something he's not finding and trying again and again. <laughs> yeah, and trying to. I I think that's part of even uh, the creative process is is just trying to get to the heart of something that you find to be mysterious. Um, yes. Is there, this is what you remember what he says, Lynch, he says, uh, most of the people, they, they ask you, what's the meaning of your movie when they don't even have a meaning in their life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yes. You, you ask something to have a meaning when maybe it's not, the, you know, the meaning is not an answer. Do you have anything in in your life that you find to be infinite, infinite, sorry, infinitely mysterious? Is are there in my life or in life in general? Oh, in in your life, I if there was, you know, we we mentioned you were mentioning uh, David Lynch, and and you know, I had oh, yeah. brought up. Um, I, I really believe, like a, a lot of artists, it's it's about that they they find something mysterious. Whether, for example, like Tarantino, it's about revenge, or you know, he's making the same movies over and over. And in, in a sense, I yeah. think a lot of creatives do that. I think some do it better than others. They'll tackle subject matter in more complicated ways. Do you do you f see yourself as trying to tackle some something that you find to be mysterious and as i would say it infinitely mysterious that just you just want to keep digging yeah i think uh, infinitely mysterious yes it's the world because you have some things that have no explanation they have no explanation but but you keep having pleasure to dig to un and to understand you know maybe the, the the main goal is to understand or try to understand you know so it, something is mysterious until you can explain it. Uh, usually when you can explain it, it's less mysterious. So, and then it will, we, will, we would go back on the question of God there, you know. Is there something that is so mysterious that you feel that you feel like you can't explain it? Yeah. So if this is your question, if there is something mysterious to this, uh, some things are mysterious, you know, the question, the the. the the most famous question, why are we here? Or, you know, why can we communicate? Why? Yeah, the, the meaning of life, these questions, yes, they are infinitely mysterious. Because they're, they're too big. But in me, in me, in myself, you know, like personally, I, answering yes, I have something really mysterious in me would like would be like I have a little a little secret that I won't tell. And I don't think I have a secret. Yeah, well, that's that's a legitimate answer. Yeah, because the way that I, I think of life a lot of times is in a way we're sort of like archaeologists that part of why we're here is maybe just to try to uncover part of reality. And it obviously all fits into a much bigger scheme. And, you know, usually people find things to be fascinating for different reasons. And as well as asking, I didn't know if there were certain topics that you found to be kind of reoccurring 
constantly in your own own mind and that seem to come out and be expressed. And obviously, I'm sure there's a lot of them, and it's all very complicated. Uh, you know. Oh yeah, I, I think is, <laughs> yeah, I think about lots of topics all the time. I'm like, uh, I have like this little voice in my head, and sometimes I should just try to stop to speak a little. So yeah, I, I think too much, even maybe. You know, I'm like over and over about the same questions. Yeah, I I do uh, the same politics, thing. <laughs> politics, it's really interesting to me. You know, society. How people gather? How do they choose that they are going to have uh, leaders? And, you know all these. Uh, it's like philosophy. Philosophy, you know, it's meant to be the science where all the questions are interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah. And if I have some that come back more and often, it's uh, telling the truth. You know, being honest. This is a real question mm. about people's behavior. Every day, it's a question. I wonder every day, how do people, uh, what, what are people's position with the truth? You know, when do they say the truth? I think it's interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because how, how many masks do we wear during a day? Yeah, yeah. for example. And why do we wear them? Because we want to protect ourselves. But then when we wear them, do we not hurt some people? You know, it's like, and is, is it society that wants that? Uh, all the, a question, like the Rousseau's question, you know Rousseau, uh, the philosopher, uh, the question uh, is, is a man bad or is, is it the society that mm -hmm. turns him bad? This is a question I think every day you can wonder, you can ask yourself. And it will change sometimes during the day, your answer to it. Which yeah, and with people, you're, you're, you're going to talk to people that are going to explain you another way of seeing it. But, but I really consider it's the society. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, no, I, I, I completely understand. I, I actually, um, not to digress, but I recently, uh, last year I read this book and it was a pretty, a pretty incredible book in my opinion. It was called Elephant in the Brain or it's called Elephant in the Brain. Um, I forget the author's name. It's like Kevin Similar or something, but his, he proposes that the reason why we lie to um, ourselves is to better lie to other people. So it's basically to be able to sell sell our lies better. Um, so it's, it's pretty interesting, but I, you know, I, that's, kind of getting getting a little off topic yeah, so you want to be so that this means you want to be the character that people so this is where we were what we were talking about before this is when you do things to satisfy the others without thinking and, and it, what's funny about that and so absurd is that maybe can you imagine maybe this uh, totally um uh pink image and happy a Disney image of a world where people, uh, instead of doing that, would have tried to find what's inside of them and would realize that it's the same as the others and no one wants to lie to himself and everybody is more peaceful like this. You know, what if, you know? Yeah. But sometimes I have stupid questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, to one of the points that he makes that I thought was really interesting is that. Um, a big part of why we lie to ourselves, he, he actually doesn't agree that it's to protect our ego because he, he thinks that that would actually just, that wouldn't, that's not sustainable. 
he says the reason why it, this is his take is that um, we lie to ourselves because we're constantly expressing through micro expressions and through our body language what our real intents are. So we can actually read each other very easily. So to throw people off, it, re it basically is comes down to convincing yourself of a lie to the greatest degree you can so that you can better mm -hmm. sell it really so that other people can't read it so it kind of throws people off your trail a bit which i it's a marketing technique too yeah basically like uh, you, the, yeah and this is it will look funny in the conversation but i've been told uh, a few weeks ago that you know that lay cast sellers at least in france i don't know but i guess in the whole world they were um given 40% on the price of a Leica and they had the right to buy one every two, three, four years. They had to register because, because Leica knew that if all the sellers had a Leica, they would sell Leica. You know, it's the same. It's like, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's the best, the best, the best argument is, uh, is to do that, you know, convince yeah. them, yeah? give them. Oh, it's amazing. I just recently, my wife and I started watching a documentary um, called this called The Century of the Self. I don't know if it's about um, Edward Bernays, who was basically the, the person who started uh, PR. And he was a, he's a nephew of Freud, which it's um, a very interesting. I think it's a four part documentary um, from the BBC. Uh, and it's mind-blowing how how all of that started all the, the marketing and um but at the the basis of it is the his belief and it's it's been his belief that essentially people needed to be controlled and the way that they're controlled is to make them feel like they were lacking something and then the, to offer the solution and this is sort of the um very much especially the american um What's it's been? It's a very American thing and phenomenon. It's obviously spread because of it's it's consumerism essentially. And uh, yes. this, this oh, person this, started this, it. Yeah. Oh, these are topics that I always think about. How are the marketing? Uh, how do they sell us things? And how how you can see periods in marketing and styles and philosophies in the bad bad using bad use of that word you know mm -hmm. you can see how it changes like i can give you an example you know 10 years ago it was the the wave of the zero you know it would sell us product that had nothing inside you know the coca was zero and then the shampoo were zero the, the soaps were zero zero percent and you didn't know about what but zero everything was zero you know now they can go to that idea that for 10 years, they're going to sell us something. And the concept behind, behind is zero, you know, emptiness. There is, in the product, there is no of this, no of that. That's fun, you know, and it changes. After the zero, it's going to be something else, you know. Uh, right now, they say that in marketing, they don't sell the products anymore. They sell the, uh, the fact that you feel well when you have the product. Oh yeah, well being, well being, yeah, emotional. Yeah, because it's a period of crisis and it's hard. And images on TV are hard, so people they need to relax. So they won't sell them 
something that they need, but something that will make them feel better. You know? So they will go get they, their nails cured and everything because they need to feel better. It's 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 yeah. interesting. Absolutely. Then, so with you know we're touching here on marketing, one of the things that I wanted to, to ask you about, and I know we're kind of running kind of low on time here. I don't want to take up your whole day. Um, you have a lingerie shop that you mm-hmm. are, are, are you one of the owners or are you the owner or, um, it's my wife's. Okay. How do you yeah. then with this marketing and, and yeah, all, all of this, uh, yes. how do you bring these yeah. worlds, to get, it's worlds together? It's awful. It's an awful struggle, everyday struggle. <laughs> I like that answer. It's awful. Yes, it's like, yeah, it's awful because it's like, okay. You've seen what we're trying to do? It's called Les Rituels. Yeah, well, Actually, I, if you could explain yeah. it a bit for everybody, I, I would really appreciate that. Um, if, so if you could talk Les about Rituels it. And... Is, yeah, it's a concept store in Paris, but it's a concept with, uh, so it, it allies, it puts together an art gallery that's only dedicated to art forms that express sensuality, eroticism, or human body, those topics. And it's a lingerie shop, so it means we sell underwear. Underwear for every day or underwear for a special events, something more uh, uh, refined. And because it's our business and we want it to succeed, and we need to because we have... Uh, uh, fee, fees to pay and lots of money that go out. A child to raise. Yeah, yeah you try, you have to sell. You know? And this is awful because when we created this shop, we created it because we wanted it to be different. We're working only with uh, designers that are pretty small, no big brands, no industry as you can imagine it. We don't work with the brands that are sold in supermarkets or in the regular lingerie shop, neither. So, and we develop an, our own imagery. We use my photography to show women uh, differently as they are, you know, and uh, we try to, we do, we do not Photoshop them. We do not make them look thinner because that's not the point. Uh, we have models that are men that are trans, that are old, that are young, that are with hair, with no hair. We have all the types. And this is the answer will be that it's a, it's a struggle because you have to sell things. So you'd have to be a marketer and imagine how to sell things. And in the, in the other hand, you want to do something honest. So it's difficult to make both at the same time. Keep on being honest and try to make money, uh, it's difficult. Yeah, that's a hard balance to keep. And sometimes you just, okay, so today is the day I write a newsletter, what words I'm going to use. You know? And if you, if, you, if you cross the line and you go into easy marketing techniques, maybe you will make more money. Maybe uh, you will lose some other clients that know that this is not the marketing they want because they know this is bullshit. You know, it's it's a question. It's an everyday question. So yeah. for now on, we try to keep on having the same message, try to be honest and genuine, work the way we do, 
we've changed our philosophy on some things, like let's say the origins of the products. Pretty much all the industry in clothes, not only in lingerie, is uh, pretty much disgusting if you look at it, the way it works, how the things are made, where they come from, how much they cost, and how much they sell it. It's it's pretty much disgusting. So we we try to, we work with brands and designers that are aware of that the most as we can. Even if it's made in China, it has to we have to have a link something. Uh, be informed about how we will never sell something made in Bangladesh, for example, because it's a nightmare. Yeah, the, uh, the ethical to, aspects and everything you yeah. take all that into account. But even that, you know, it's hard. Oh yeah. Because that the, sounds like have, a nightmare, honestly, yeah. to figure all that out. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you'll you'll learn one thing. You know, uh, to do your homework on that seems incredibly difficult. Yes, and the the, the public's uh, expect, expectation. It's like uh, trying to educate people, uh, inform them at least. You yeah. know, when you explain them, uh, some they understand like that. The regular way of selling clothes is is weird. It's uh, the way they do with the supermarkets and everything. It's 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 not uh, not good. It, I I think I don't know how it is in the states or in Canada, but here at least we can feel that more and more people are aware of, of the fact that when they buy something, they say yes to a system. Yeah, I think it's. I think people are becoming more aware of it, but I don't think very many people do anything about it because I, I think that's they uh, kind of feel somewhat trapped. You know, I yeah. think like for example, they, uh, clothing. Like yeah. you know, you go, okay, well, I know I don't want to buy something that is made unethically, but at the same time, like everyone has kind of the sense that, but can I afford anything else? And so. I think that's yeah. the thing is that what happens psychologically is most people are willing to sacrifice someone else for their well-being. And yes. I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's sort of the concept of, um, you know, where like in, in morality and ethics, it's, it's, it's okay to kill someone who's trying to kill you. So if you have like a, a general sense of fear about your well-being, you feel justified in, in, you know, doing something that you wouldn't do otherwise. So saying that is like saying that consumerism is the law of nature, but uh, worldwide. Yeah. It's, but, it's kind of a, a kind like of a catch. You have too. to, en- you have, you have to enslave someone at the other side of the world so that you can drive your, your fancy new car. Yeah. And you don't well, it because it's boring. Exactly. And I think it, it, a lot of that, like having the fancy new car, for example, it, the way that it's pitched to us and this is kind of the marketing and consumerism is that if you don't have it, then there, there's a, it's, it's obviously, obviously presented in a way that it's something that you need. It's, you know what I mean? It's not that it's, you know, that you don't need a BMW, but at the same time it's sold to you in a way that it's like, you need this BMW if you are to express who it is you really are. So it becomes this kind of emotional play. And I think that most people aren't conscious of that enough to step outside of it and realize that it's not truly threatening. And most of the things that we're afraid of aren't actually truly threatening. Um, but, you know, that's a that's a huge, huge topic right there that 
that, that doesn't yes. even scratch the surface. And that I'm sure you're extremely familiar with, you know, trying to run a business and, and even to a large degree, the photography that you do, you know, I think it all plays into it. You, you mentioned that there are models who get into it because they think it's something that's cool and they don't realize until they get to a few years down the line that it's something that they didn't really want. And, you know, so I think it's, it's just a very uh, difficult system to navigate. And I think it, it's becoming more difficult because people aren't thinking rationally about all of this or they're responding emotionally. Yeah. The thing is, the thing is, I think I've said it before, but I think sometimes it, the, the, the answer is try to know what you want. You know? Yeah. That's first. Absolutely. And most people don't know what it is they want. Uh, they, so yes, or what they, as you said before, they lie to themselves. They, they don't need anybody to tell them. They already get the lie by themselves, and then they act so that the lie becomes the truth. But I, I'm going to give you an example. If a girl comes to me and she wants to model for me, and if she's going to tell me she does it for personal reasons, like for example, you know, they some take it as therapy. Uh, there is this word uh, empowerment that's awfully used today that we didn't say, or but, you know because for personal reasons they have a quest themselves and they want to have this experience and they chose me. I really like it, you know. I'm really, I feel proud that they chose me, mm-hmm. and I understand uh, the direction and the the why. They did it because they tell me, and I think it's fine. In the other hand, a, a girl that comes to you and does it because she feels she wants to, but she didn't really think about it, you know, and you feel she's not really secure about what she's going to do, and maybe she will regret. I think it's your duty to, to tell her. And I think it's, you know, it's where there is a, a line that you can cross. Yeah. Uh, taking um, responsibility for that is, uh, f- for you as a photographer, that uh, becomes difficult. Uh, and th- you definitely have to, I think, build up to that level of confidence because it takes an awareness yourself. And in a way, you are also putting yourself in a position where you're kind of making a judgment for them, which some could take as being infringing on someone's freedom but yes you know i think that's that's the thing too is that you also have to understand you as the photographer like i i know personally i never want to be in a position where i'm going to be at the root or even close to the root of something that will bring anyone harm so yes uh, so the difference it's easy when you shoot a 20 years old and you shoot a 40 years old woman yeah uh, the, the, here you see the difference clearly yeah, absolutely. So there is also something like this. It's the same as uh, you can make a comparison to in a sexual in a sexual relationship. Why not? But also in a relationship with someone, if you feel that this someone, if you feel that it's not balanced between you and the person, the person is on and you're off. I mean, you have to say it. You know. Yeah. 
it's the same. You have the experience and you know the end, you know the answer. So maybe you, you should take her to that path and tell her, I'm not sure you, you know, do it little by little or, you know, think about it or, yeah, try to know what you want. Yeah, that's, uh, that takes a, a lot of self-awareness and I, a lot of people, I don't see them display that. Yeah, when the girl comes to me, when a girl comes to me and she's never done photos, if she's 20, in her 20s, I always ask her, do you really, 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 really want to do that? You know, <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't ask why, but I ask, really, do you really want to do it? You're sure. Planning that doubt in their heads can be a good thing. I, I think it's. I think it's good for... I think people have, you should be able to justify, uh, those, that action, um, in your, to yourself at least, because it can have, it can have consequences, undesirable consequences. Mm. Now you mentioned, um, you're mentioning relationships. How much of your work is your wife a part of? Uh, a lot. I started before I met her. And then she took, and when I met her, she wasn't, uh, she, she wasn't modeling. And then she started for a while. That was before we had the shop and the project. She did some modeling too for other photographers and because she started with me. So for me in my work, she's really important. Like if I could, it, it could be okay to work only with her. She has uh, on my website, I have a, a section only for her because when it's with her, it's always different. It's something else. Because we have our trust, our relationship, that it's, uh, it is strong and creating photos is also part of, uh, part of it. Yeah, that, that's something I can definitely appreciate because uh, that's s similar to me and my wife, our relationship. Um, I, I work with my wife literally almost every single day shooting something, you know, even if it's just to stay practicing. So... No, I, th I think that that's definitely a, a very special uh, dynamic that uh, a lot of people don't have and that I know that I'm appreciative of. So I'm sure that you are as well. Yes, it's important. And also it brings its uh, own difficulties sometimes because of the, uh, the uh, another line, you know, a line between your privacy and what you want to show. It uh, reminds me of the questions you asked me earlier about my shame if I push my limits and with my wife, yes, I, the fact that we can show what we show today with no shame or if I, the fact that I dare to do it, it's, it's an evolution. It, it came slowly, little by little. And as the trust and the relationship was growing between us, uh, the more freedom we, we had. And that probably, I would assume, has informed even the way that you um, interact with other models as well. Being able to see the progression of that trust and being able to have that intimacy and uh, has probably allowed you to pick up on the cues of um, other people. Yes, because uh, I think you, you have to make your mind clear about some questions and my relationship with my wife, it helped me to, to, some, to make some choices or not to make some choices, to, yes, to put some lines somewhere or to understand some things. 
But this is another question. It's like it's the relationship between the photographer and the model. You know what it is, what people think of it, and it's also a big topic. Yeah, you know because also of what we said before, because of the confusion I think there is between what we show in our photos and what we do for real. You know, it's not because we make something sensual or sexual that there is actual sex. And sometimes this is also the the line between pornography and not pornography. It's if there is actual sex. It's it's complex, you know. Everything is it's like every element they go together, and every time you answer one, you end up in another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just open up a whole other can of worms. Yeah, it goes. It's like a snail, you know. You go from one part to another, like this. Yeah. Well, I. Um... I know we're we've been on uh, the, the the phone for a while now, so I don't want to, like I mentioned before, take up your entire day. Uh, so we can kind of nice wrap it up. Yeah, that's right. It is night there. <laughs> Six hour difference. Yeah. But um, I just had some kind of quick fire questions for you. But um, just to wind down, I was wanting to know uh, if there are any books that you recommend or. Any any books that you're reading right now that you would want to uh, tell people to read themselves? Right now, I'm reading two books. I'm reading The Last Michel Houellebecq. It's a French author. I don't know if it's, it's translated yet in English. I think it will be because it's he is translated. I didn't finish it yet. I don't know if I would tell people to read it. He's a, he's a singular uh, writer. But I read a classic it's less risky to talk about that. I read Guy de Maupassant these days. He's a guy who uh, he wrote some uh, some short novels about fantastic. And I'm reading this. It's a read that I've made when I was younger, and I'm re-reading it. I really I think it's a good book. What What is the name so of the book again? It's Fantastic Tales, actually. The name would be Fantastic Tales. And the author is Guy de Maupassant. This is what I'm reading now and enjoying. You know, it's about, you know, apparitions. You know, it's stories about the guy who bought an old, uh, an old, uh, uh, I don't know, an old furniture. Uh, and then uh, one day cleaning it, he finds some hair inside the furniture and then he gets haunted by the hair. Things like this. Huh. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. I'm going to check that one out. And then, um, and then, as far as uh, music, are there any bands or music that you recommend? I listen many things in many styles. It's different. It's different. The grind, I don't know the grindcore professor's music that you. <laughs> I know. No, I listen to metal <laughs> music actually. I listen. I I like metal. I like rap music. I like I like electronic music. I like many styles of music. Uh, any, I don't know any favorites. Say. There are so many. That's so many. That's fair. That's fair. I know that's a, that's a difficult question. Yeah, uh, it could it could be uh, in so many different styles. We don't have them. We don't mean anything to answer. Like you know. Okay, and then. Uh, I, but I listen to music a lot and constantly when I'm working. Yeah, no, that's uh, one of my one of my personal favorites has always been Radiohead. I, that's always one of my go-to, and then John Frusciante. That's that's those are my two kind of go-to. Okay, let's say Massive Attack, for example. I can say this one, Massive Attack, Sonic Youth. Mm -hmm. These are bands that I listen for years now and I never get uh, tired of it. 
Yeah. Well, those are those are two good ones. The yeah. the black album, the one the Mezzanine by Massive Attack, it's one of the best albums. Oh yeah. It's one of great albums of all kinds. Yeah. That, there's a. What, I'm trying to think of Massive Attack song was from Helio 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 Land. Yeah. There's a song on there that. that Girl, I I love you. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember the name. Of, I it's. I I can't remember it. It's a female vocalist, but I'll, yeah, I'm sure after we get off the the phone, I'll end up like remembering what it was, but yeah. Uh, But, um, so then the the last question I have for you, um, what is it, what is it that you feel that you contribute positively to the world that's unique to you? And I know that can be a difficult question, but if, if you can summarize it in any way. Yes, I have an easy answer to this one too. Right. I was a teacher. I was a teacher in elementary schools, and this is something where you contribute because you teach some kids how to read, how to count, how to understand what they read, and you give them tools uh, for their brain, for their future, for their possibilities of understanding the world and making choices. This is uh, something I've made in my life that I think. It was important. No, that's a good one. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's an awesome one. The gift of teaching is priceless. Yes, teaching is something like you, you take a kid, a six years old kid. He doesn't know how to read, and in the end of the year, he can put together some letters to make some syllables and some words and some sentences, and then understand it's something. Yeah, to see that's a pretty crazy transformation that uh, yes, we take for granted. There is. Oh yes, it's. it's uh, well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and and contributing everything that you have. It's uh, some amazing things to think about and contemplate. And I can tell you, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Me too. So thank you very, so much. Very interesting. Thank you for the questions. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the proposition, the invitation, is nice. Thank you to everyone that has listened as well as to my guest Lobias. If you have enjoyed this episode and others, I would love to hear your feedback as well as any suggestions you might have. You can contact me at grant at gtrimble.com. That's G-R-A-N-T at G-T-R-I-M-B-L-E dot com. Or visit my website for show notes at gtrimble.com and then click the podcast link. Don't forget to follow Lobias on Instagram at Lobias. That's L-O-B-B-I-A-Z. As well as check out his website, lobias.com. You can even find links there to subscribe to his Patreon to support his work as well. You can follow Figureisms on Instagram at F-I-G-U-R dot I-S-M-S. And you can follow my Instagram as well as gtrimble underscore photo. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your loved ones and show your support by clicking the subscribe button and leaving a review, interacting with us, and don't forget to spread the word. To rock your